get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. out of the pocket, points and throws a line drive. It's deflected and intercepted in the end zone. That's going to do it. They seal it as Devin White gets the interception in the gold-painted end zone and a ricochet for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions led by Tom Brady. Absolutely a player for the ages. Well, that happened last night. You heard it right here on 101 ESPN. I'm sure you all watched it, so we don't have to talk about it today, right? We're good. We can just avoid the Super Bowl in its entirety. Sound good to you, Alex? I'm fine with it. I got a lot of things to say on the Blues and Cardinals side. That's as dominant a defensive line performance as I've ever seen in a single game. Basically going back to the Broncos destroying the Panthers in the Super Bowl. Mahomes was pressured on 29 of his 56 dropbacks. Let me say that one more time. Mahomes was pressured on 29 of his 56 dropbacks last night, which was the most for any quarterback in Super Bowl history. The uh, previous high. Not great. Yep, uh, That's right. You're Mo. right, Mo. You're right. The previous high was Jim Kelly, who was pressured on 25 dropbacks 25 years ago in the Super Bowl. He probably won the Super Bowl at that time, though, didn't he? Uh, nope. That's not how it worked out for Jim Kelly at any point in his career. Um, I saw that coming but not to that degree. I knew the Chiefs offensive line was going to be a problem. We talked about it all week. I knew that they were going to get beat. I knew that it was going to be a tough night for Patrick Mahomes. I didn't know that he was going to run and scramble more than any quarterback in the history of the tracking systems. I didn't know that was going to be the case. Tampa Bay had a hell of a game plan, and they stopped the Chiefs offense in a way that quite literally nobody else has since Patrick Mahomes came took over as a starter. I mean, that was rough. Uh, that looked like a different football team. That did not look like Patrick Mahomes, although I will give credit to Patrick Mahomes because remember when my idiot self said that Tyreek Hill would be the second best athlete on that field? That's not true from those no. two throws by Mahomes where he was basically lateral to the ground. But, I mean, look, I knew they, they were depleted with offensive linemen. Like, I knew they were without their center and their left tackle and their right tackle was playing left tackle and their left guard was playing right. I knew that was the case. But I didn't expect them to look that bad. Yep. I mean, they looked like they couldn't stop anything. And give credit where credit is due. Jason Pierre-Paul and Levante David and Devontae um, White, 
And I mean, everyone on that front seven, they look like pro bowlers out there. But then the, the, the problem for me also came BK to where there were a lot of drop passes. Like, and I know it was pressured and they weren't the greatest throws, but like two or three of them. Well, they should have had two touchdowns. Yeah. Like two, two of them, the one to Daryl Williams in the right front of the end zone. That's the throw you're referencing where he was literally parallel with the yeah. ground, threw it sidearmed, and it, it went exactly where it was supposed to. It hit him right in the hands or went through his hands rather hit his face mask and bounced off on fourth down. That should have been a touchdown. The one that was to the other corner of the end zone also dropped should have been a touchdown. They had multiple touchdowns that were dropped. And then, then just catches on first down conversions. I mean, Travis Kelsey dropped a couple yep. of them. Tarek Hill dropped a couple of them. McCole Hardman had one of the worst games I've ever seen from a receiver in a Super Bowl I, I or mean, any game, really. Sammy honestly. Watkins and Pringle were just basically irrelevant in this football game. It, it made... Kansas City look like one of the less one of the lesser teams in that division. Like they didn't look like the powerhouse of that division last night and unfortunately for them that's what's going to be talked about from now until the next time they get to that point of, of how off they looked and I think more credit's going to be given not credit, more more discussions are going to be over Tom Brady winning over the fact that that defense just completely eliminated that offense six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line from the three one four so bk what exactly did you bet correctly and how much did you win or lose last night so i did go over to illinois went on the FanDuel paradise sportsbook app put in all my bets over the weekend i got a few right we called the uh the rob gronkowski game we knew that that was coming i bet on him to be the first touchdown score that worked out well for me i put a parlay together of uh Rob Gronkowski over Leonard Fournette over and the game going under. So that would have been what it probably took. That would have been a Bucks win most likely. So that went well for me. Same game parlay. Uh, other than that, not a whole lot. <laughs> Lost literally every other bet. Went with the Chiefs for those 55 to 1 odds. It, it didn't go well for me last night. And let's give full credit where it's due. You mentioned it, and it's accurate. A lot of the discussion today is going to be on Tom Brady, and it's fair. The defense, in a large part, won that game for the Bucks. They're not in that game, though, without Tom Brady. I know we got caught up in the whole, oh, but he threw three interceptions against the Packers and all of this nonsense. Man, that's one of the greatest sports team accomplishments I've seen. It really is. The fact that Tom Brady went to a new team in a pandemic offseason where I was reading earlier today from Peter King and he was saying that Rob Gronkowski doesn't even know some of his teammates names yet because they haven't been able to eat together right in the common areas. You had um, last night Bruce Arian's wife met Tom Brady for the first time. <laughs> Think about that. Tom Brady has been signed with the Buccaneers for 10 months now. Bruce Arians, the head coach, his wife had never met his starting quarterback. It's been a weird year in every sense of the word. The offense at times looks like oil and water between Arians and Brady. My guy, Jamie Rivers, who's here just gloating with 17 different pieces of Buccaneers apparel. He was calling for Bruce Arians to be fired after week five. He refused to call him B.A. on the air. And somehow they still got here, despite the fact that they went on the road for three straight weeks as a wildcard team, did it for the first time in a decade. They beat Breeze, Rodgers, and Mahomes to win the Super Bowl. First team ever to beat three former Super Bowl MVP quarterbacks in a single postseason. 
just miraculous in every sense of the word an unbelievable accomplishment for them yeah i mean there's no there's no argument there and i mean look tom brady was pressured in this one but i thought the offensive line was impressive but the fact that he was doing what he struggled with all season, like it was a completely different player. He was going with those deep passes and the play set up for what they went through with Byron Leftwich of run the ball, kind of lull them to sleep with that. As my cousin was talking about, when we were walk, watching that game yesterday. You just keep running the ball and you just wear them down until they're not expecting it. And then that deep bomb and that's what he got away with. I mean, frankly, there were a couple of other possessions that the Buccaneers had that if they would have gone for it, I bet you they would have had it on fourth down. They decided to kick the field goal, but props to Tom Brady because, look, we've talked about it an awful lot, and I, people will continue to talk about it, but for what he has accomplished at the age that he is with what he did this season, there's nothing that can top that in my eyes. Rob Gronkowski talked about this after the game. I thought he summed it up pretty well, basically saying, hey, I've won a few Super Bowls now. This one's the best. It's hands down one of the greatest accomplishments in sports history. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's the greatest, but I would say it's up there for sure. You know, to come down here to Tampa, uh, come to an organization that was ready to win, uh, come come down here with the players that, you know, they're all fantastic players, great guys, just everyone overall. I mean, just the story is just unbelievable. It is. It's an unbelievable story, and it's something that we will be talking about for years to come. It's as impressive a Super Bowl journey as you're going to be able to find. Super happy for Bruce Arians, who has been waiting for this moment for a long time. Glad to see Todd Bowles, who was ousted in New York, thought of as a dunce, goes down to Tampa Bay, put together an incredible defensive game plan. They blitzed five times in that game last night. It felt like they blitzed 50 times in the game with the pressure that they were able to put on Patrick Mahomes last night. Carlton Davis, by the way, the guy that was put into a uh, he was burnt like a crisp in that first game against Tyreek Hill <laughs> allowed zero targets and zero receptions against Tyreek Hill last night. Just I, I mean, the perfect game plan in the biggest possible moment for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Unbelievable game plan. Bruce Arians with that Super Bowl win, does it put him in the discussion to become a Hall of Fame coach? If you look at his numbers, they're pretty good, actually, as a head coach, and he's been in the league forever. One coach of the year, the year that he took over in Indianapolis. Um, Won it in Arizona. And went to the Super Bowl Went to the Super Bowl in Arizona. Now brought it over to Tampa Bay. And the other thing is, like, the legacy of the quarterbacks that he worked with, right? Worked with Big Ben up in Pittsburgh. Ended up going and working with Andrew Luck. Went down to Arizona, had Carson Palmer, and was successful with him. And now, of course, with Tom Brady. I think there's a case to be made. It'll be a difficult one. I think it'll take some time for him to get in, but there's definitely a case to be made for him. There were legacies all over the place last night that were potentially secured. What you saw from Tom Brady, it's over. The conversation about Brady versus Mahomes, we'll get into that a little bit more as we go. But the same is true for a guy like Antonio Brown. I, I think that helps his Hall of Fame case. I think he was going to get in either way, but I think last night helped him a little bit. Rob Gronkowski even more kind of separated himself among the all-time great tight ends. There were a lot of legacies, not on the line, but that could have been secured last night. And I think we saw Bruce Arians is just one of How those. How about LaShawn McCoy, who wins the Super Bowl last year with Kansas City and then goes to another team and beats the team that he just won the Super Bowl with? Right there, that is just, that's poetic when Except it comes to pro sports. I think he has zero Oh, yeah, he didn't even play the last two years. Who cares? That's two Super Bowls. That's incredible, in my opinion. That's how that's how you're supposed to do it. It's 1114. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. There is one thing that is being made as an excuse for the Chiefs today. 
I'm a Chiefs fan. You would expect me to make this excuse. It's ridiculous. We can go ahead and stop having this conversation before it ever really starts. We'll tell you what that is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Shotgun snap goes back five, arching pass, back of the end zone, incomplete flag thrown on. Matthew in the back of the end zone underneath the crossbar watching the 6-5 Evans run his route. Well, that's what we call blitz zero. No safeties back. All out blitz. Man to man. interference. Number 32. Defense. That penalty occurred in the end zone. They'll place the ball at the one yard line. First and goal. Fifth penalty on the Kansas City defense tonight, Kurt Warner. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 636. Guys, I think the officials controlled that game in the first quarter. And it made it to where the Chiefs couldn't play defense the rest of the game. The officials lost that game for Kansas City. This is going to be a common theme throughout the day. And if anybody says it, you should stop listening to them immediately. <laughs> I, for my, uh, on my own part, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm at BK Sports Talk. Alex is on Twitter, at Ferrario101ESPN. You saw me complaining about the officials in the first half. I did. I think it was a fair thing to do, and it directly led to some points for the Bucks. That call in particular that you just heard coming back, audio courtesy of Westwood One, that was egregious. It was a horrible, no good, very bad call. If you look back at the one on Bashad Breeland on the Mike Evans pass interference call, also no good, very bad call. It was incidental contact. You can see their feet get tangled as they're running down the sideline. I'm not much interested in arguing those points, though. The point I am interested in, the Chiefs didn't lose that game because of the refs. Refs didn't help them for sure. But if you score nine points, score zero touchdowns, go, I think it was 0 for 3 in the red zone and your defense can't stop a nosebleed, that is a you problem. That is not a referee problem. Mm -hmm. So we can have all the conversations we want to about how the game was officiated differently than the rest of the playoffs, which is true. We can talk about how there were some egregious calls, which there were. McCole Hardman. You can't line up offsides when it's fourth and five and they're kicking a field goal (laughs) to give them an extra four points. That was terrible. Hey, Chiefs defense, if there's an offensive lineman that pushes you a little late, you can't retaliate, Chris Jones. That's on you. That is not on the referees. The Chiefs committed so many stupid penalties in that game that I cannot complain about the officiating when they didn't do themselves any favors. Right. Look, I mean, 197 penalty yards for Kansas City, which was, I think, third most in Super Bowl history. Like that right there, you look at it and you say, yeah, that had an impact on this game. But I look at that game last night the same way I've looked at the Blues at the early portion of the season, BK. You can blame the officials all you want. And the officials have made some bad calls this season. But you're still losing a hockey game by two goals. You're still losing by three goals. You still lost that game 31-9. to You didn't score a touchdown. You had three guys with balls basically go right through their hands. So the officials may have given the other team an extra touchdown. But if you don't like it, don't take the penalties. If you don't like it find a way to out uh, overcome that adversity in the football game. So I heard it. I heard it this morning. People talking about how, boy, that officiating was terrible. It ruined the Super Bowl for me. No, it was definitely a storyline. But look, they took the flags away in the second half. Mm -hmm. But guess what also happened? You had zero offense or defense there in that second half because of it. So it goes hand in hand. But yeah, I'm with you. I think 
it's worth being discussed, but it did not affect the outcome of this football game. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, something that's always said, too, and we hear these complaints about the refs, you have to adjust. We never saw the Chiefs really adjust. That second half, they kind of did. But if they're going to call it tight, you've got to play. The, you have to play the officials, too. Let's be honest. If they're going to call a tight game, you have to back off. It can't be as physical. And I understand, well, that makes it tougher for defenders. It's already tough on defense now in the NFL. But you have to play the officials. And the Chiefs, like you said, some of those weren't the officials' fault, lined up offsides. But some of those pass interference, okay, yeah, you have to play the officials. You have to back off a little bit. Can't be as physical. I thought there were three bad calls last night that I that I could actually pinpoint. The the one was a holding call. I think it was on Traverius Ward on I think it was also Mike Evans, actually. Another one was that defensive pass interference call down the left sideline where they tripped over each other. And then the third one was the Tyron Matthew pass interference. Those were the three that really stood out to me as being potentially egregious in that game. Other than that, though. You could have gone either way with most of the other calls, and some of them were like, yeah, they're going to call that every single time, right? So I, it, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, good teams overcome those bad calls, too. The Chiefs weren't able to do so. Absolutely. And that that is where I think the conversation gets lost sometimes is you're going to have Chiefs fans that come out today and say, hey, it was the refs, it was the refs, it was the refs. Sure, The refs hurt the Chiefs in the first half. I am not here to disagree with that in any way, shape, or form. But eventually, you've got to find a way to overcome them, and the Chiefs never did. They also didn't do any any favors to themselves with the way that they came out in this game. I went back through and looked back at the first two drives that the Chiefs had. Andy Reid's known for his first 15, right? That's his quote-unquote script. This is what their first two drives looked like. A designed pass to Byron Pringle on the first play of the game. An incompletion on a screen that was blown up from the moment that it was called. Two scrambles by Mahomes, then two incompletions to McCole Hardman, one of which was a overthrow by Mahomes. The other, I don't know what McCole Hardman was doing. He lost the ball in the air or something and should have had a, a really big game. That was that corner route early on that he missed. That's the end of the first drive. Second drive, a Tyreek Hill sweep against one of the fastest defenses in football. A an option play against one of the fastest defenses in football, and then Mahomes scrambles for a first down. Next three plays. Mahomes incompletion to Byron Pringle, Mahomes incompletion to McCole Hardman, Clyde Edwards Alaire run, and then Mahomes incompletion to Tyreek Hill. You know whose name I didn't mention once in any of those first two drives? Not a single time. Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey was arguably the best player. Uh, the offensive player of the year in the NFL this year. You could make an argument for him. Not targeted a single time on your first two drives of the Super Bowl. His first target didn't come until the last play of the first quarter. That ain't on the refs. That's on you. Tyreek Hill, one target on the first two drives. The two guys that you knew you had to get involved to be able to win that game combined for one target on your first two drives. It's not good enough. That That is not the way you're going to win the Super Bowl. So miss me with any of this discussion about the referees. This is on the Chiefs. They lost that game. The Buccaneers won that game. Now let's get into what is going to be the overall takeaway for a lot of people. What this do for the legacies of Brady and Mahomes last night? Well, according to my cousin last night, Mahomes is washed up. That's what I heard. 
pretty much all day. Wow, now really? that is a bold prediction. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like Mahomes for some reason. Okay. Thought it was pretty funny, actually. What do you think it did, though? I, like, in all seriousness, did this change anything for you when it came to the legacy for both Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes? Because that was the talk leading up into this game. See, as great of a victory as, as that was for Tom Brady, and I agree with you, BK, off the top of the hour, like, that was probably his best win for what he went through. It doesn't change anything for me, though. He, I mean, he still is the greatest when it comes to, especially in Super Bowls. T-Bone said in a break, you don't bet against the GOAT. That's always been. Honestly, it doesn't change that much for me for Mahomes either because Mahomes looked weaker than what we were used to. And, you know, yes, you take away some of his weapons when it comes to the offensive line and how good that defense was. But Mahomes was still making throws. Mahomes was still making plays under pressure. It was his weapons that weren't making any plays in terms of catches and dropping the balls. I would say it takes a little bit of a hit, I guess, to Mahomes being the next or better than Tom Brady narrative that we've had going into this Super Bowl. But to me, he is still one of the top quarterbacks, if not the top quarterback in the game from what we've seen. And that's basically off of the talent level. We saw some of these throws that his teammates just didn't convert on. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it really changed much for me. It definitely extended Brady's. I, it may have sealed Brady as the GOAT forever because it's going to be tough to win seven Super Bowls for anybody. And I don't think Mahomes will catch him. I really don't. And it's just with Brady's performance, I don't know how much. I mean, he played well and we've talked about it, but his defense, I feel like his defense has a, a couple of times in the Super Bowl really stood out to help him win sure. that. Mahomes doesn't have a defense. Mahomes has to be, well, not as good a defense, I should say. Mahomes had to be better than Tom Brady, and he kind of was, but then, again, the offensive line didn't help him out. The defense wasn't as good as Tampa Bay's. I don't know how much it really hurts Mahomes in terms of just this game. Head-to-head with Brady, yes, it's going to kill him, and I don't know if he'll ever catch Tom Brady in seven Super Bowls. I think it ended the discussion. I think last night ended that discussion. Um, I was reading this earlier today. Kevin Clark, I think, is a fantastic writer for The Ringer. He said, Mahomes was far from perfect, but this loss not on him. For two years, I've thought thought and Mahomes has shown that having him as your quarterback is all that matters in a big spot. We saw the limits of such a theory on Sunday. That's to your point, Tanner. I think yesterday... If you're going to encapsulate that game in any way, shape, or form in the big picture when it comes to the legacies, I think it's cemented Tom Brady as being the greatest to ever do it. Period. Full stop. End of story. I don't think that we are going to be having the discussion anymore of Patrick Mahomes taking over Tom Brady as the GOAT. Now, can Patrick Mahomes still go down as in my opinion, the best that I've ever seen do it. Sure, that is still in play, just like Aaron Rodgers. I'm not sure I've ever seen the quarterback position played at a higher level than what he did back in like 2011. He was unbelievable. Same thing can still be true for Patrick Mahomes. But when it comes to the GOAT status, he's now been beat head-to-head in each of the two times that he's played against Tom Brady. Tom Brady beat him in the AFC Championship game back in 2018, head-to-head, in Arrowhead. He has now beat him in the Super Bowl, head-to-head. I don't know how you overcome that. that you had your chance to be able to overcome the guy that is now seen as the GOAT. He directly ended up getting two more Super Bowls by beating you. Think about that. I, I, I For me, it would be like if we had the LeBron James conversation and we were talking about LeBron potentially overtaking Michael after Michael beat him head-to-head twice. 
we wouldn't even have the discussion anymore. So as much as I would love to see Patrick Mahomes in that conversation, I think yesterday really kind of put the end to that. I don't I don't think that Mahomes is going to be able to get to seven. That seems astronomical to me. And the fact that we've now seen Brady beat him head to head twice, I think kind of puts that conversation to an end. It sucks. I wish that that wasn't the case, but I, I do think it is. I, to me, it's hard to say that, though, because I know it's head to head. You look at that. But what could Mahomes do? Mahomes couldn't go out and be his offensive line. Heck, he may have been able to block better. But, I mean, you look at the numbers. Mahomes threw for more yards. Yes, he had the two interceptions, but he was pressured 29 of 56 dropbacks. I mean, to me, it's hard to I, – I don't understand the argument of, well, he'll never catch him because he lost head-to-head. Well, it wasn't one-on-one. We could say that with LeBron and Michael where they would be guarding each other. Why was Joe Montana, though, considered to be the GOAT before Brady? The rings, right? Why yeah, is the Brady, four Super Bowl rings. Why, why is Brady now considered to be the GOAT? I understand that, but to me, it's hard to judge it head-to-head, especially with these two, because I would argue Mahomes is better in his prime than what Brady was. Agreed. So, I, I think you can argue that Aaron Rodgers better in his prime than Brady was. I don't think that it matters. So Brady benefits from the, the rings. I, I understand that. But to me, the conversation needs to be changed because I think Brady benefits a ton. And I know you look at it now and you go, well, Bill Belichick was maybe the guy. Well, look, I think he benefited a lot from Belichick and him coaching up the defenses to help him win a couple of those Super Bowls. I think there's been scenarios because this, this Super Bowl for me, Brady benefited from his team. The Super Bowls that he won towards the end of his time in New England where it was some defense, but he was making something out of nothing with Danny Amendola and all of these wide receivers that on any other team you wouldn't be talking about. That's where you can put it on Brady. But but I am with T-Bone on this one. Like, I, I don't like the QB versus QB narrative because there's so many other factors that go into it. Whereas you look at Mahomes and yeah, his losses against Brady, it's impactful. He's 0-2 against him. But the storylines surrounding that team, I think, changed that narrative for me at least a little bit. I hear you, but this is what we do. Um, We did it with Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning. Despite the fact that Peyton Manning finished his career with a winning record head-to-head in the postseason against Tom Brady, Manning was 3-2 and in the playoffs against Tom Brady. We still view uh, Peyton Manning as the choker in the playoffs and Tom Brady as the winner because Tom Brady won the first two head-to-head. He won the first two, and from there, the narrative was set, and we never flipped it back around. It never got back around to the point of, oh, man, Peyton really kind of turned that that argument on its head and then became a winner in the postseason. Nope. These things get set early, and suddenly there's nothing that we can do about it to change that narrative. The other thing is, if you go back to the Super Bowl against the Rams, for instance, right? It wasn't like Tom Brady was the reason they won that game. He was there for the ride. He finished that game with 150 yards through the air and one touchdown. He averaged five and a half yards per attempt. That's a good game for a running back. He did that as a quarterback. The reason they won that game was because they had Bill Belichick who put together one of the greatest game plans we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter, though. People will look back on it and say, yeah, but he won. He won. And so the right, the winners get to tell the, the history. They get to write the history books. And Brady, almost every time he gets there, is the winner. And he gets to write what the history book says. And so far, when he goes up against, uh, when he goes up against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, he gets to write that he won head-to-head twice. And Patrick Mahomes doesn't get to say that. And so I, 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 I agree with what you guys, in a... Pollyanna world where I get to come up with the rules. I don't think it should be based upon the rings, but eventually things get so overwhelming in these discussions that it is, it's impossible to overcome. And Tom Brady, for me, at least for me, 
I think is going to go down as the GOAT because of what we saw over the weekend. I, I think it was already likely to head that way. I think this put any end to the discussion. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, oh boy, we got to talk about the Blues, Alex. Hmm. Let's dive into some Blues quick hitters next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So we do have some updates from Blues Morning Skate. This comes from Jeremy Rutherford. Craig Berube says that Barbashev was put in on the Ryan O'Reilly line to give them a four checker on that line. He thinks they need that with them. Berube points out that there's now a heavy guy on every line going into tonight. If you haven't seen it yet with the new kind of shuffling going on with Robert Thomas out. Barbashev is with O'Reilly and Perron. You've got the Schwartz, Shin, and Kairou line still together. You have Sanford dropping down to the third line. Sonny is going to be kind of replacing Robert Thomas on that line. And then Hoffman is still the right winger. Your fourth line going into tonight is expected to be Blay, De La Rose, and Clifford. Let's start with this, Alex. What do you make of the decision to put Barbashev up on that top line with O'Reilly and Perron? I love it. Uh, and I know people aren't going to be happy about it because they want Mike Hoffman up there. But let's be honest, Hoffman didn't look great up there on Saturday uh, with those two at five on five. He scored the two goals on uh, Thursday's game, but that was at six on five with the goalie pulled, which is much different um, for, for teams out there. So Craig Berube said it, and I think that's exactly what they're going after. You got to get four check. You got to get heavy on every line because otherwise you just got guys skating around and not creating offense. I emailed you and T-Bone last night as a topic today, and I said, look, there's two guys that need to step up and the spotlight's on, and it's Ivan Barbashev and Zach Sanford. And wouldn't you know it, those are the two guys that got shifted around a little bit. Sanford, of course, missed Saturday's game. I'm watching for Barbashev because he has not been the same player. He has been quiet. He has been ice times just getting decreased every single game, dropping from 15 to 10 to 5 minutes. So this is a little bit of Craig Bruby saying, Ivan, we need you. Let's get going as he's going to try and create some forecheck pressure up there. And Sanford's the other one. You got to get offense from him. You got to get offense from this third line. Oscar Sunquist, as Craig Bruby likes to call him, is the Mr. Fix-It. So we'll see if he can do that with Zach Sanford and Mike Hoffman. But I, I like the way that they're juggling these lines around. You got to get offense on all four. I'm, I think Hoffman is a right winger. I, right I think winger. I think that's yeah. part of the thing here is... We've seen him at left wing. He doesn't look good over there. He doesn't. And it's going to be a problem that the, the Blues are going to have to figure this out. I don't know. I, I think Perron's probably going to have to move over to the left wing whenever Vladimir Tarasenko returns because Hoffman can't do it, at least from what we've seen so far this year. And we're tonight will be the quarter mark of the season. 13 games in, given what we're playing this season, that, that is a quarter of the year. I don't know that we're going to be able to see much more of Mike Hoffman on the left wing moving forward. So I expect him to be on that third line. I know people are upset about this. I get it. He's going to have less ice time most likely tonight than Barbership. Mm-hmm. That seems silly just on kind of in a vacuum. That seems silly. But given what they need from those two guys, I think this is the right choice. But if, it, if things play out the way they're supposed to, they'll be even or close to it in ice time because all four lines are playing effectively. The problem is what the last couple of nights have been, BK. But... Hoffman's not going to be out there on the third line as much as O'Reilly is. That first Oscar line. Oscar Sundquist gets a lot of ice time when it comes down to it. If you look at his numbers compared to like guys like Ryan O'Reilly. because Five on five, though? Yeah. 
because when things get close to the end of the third period, Sunquist is getting thrown out there to try and get things going for the Blues. It's not going to be close to where Ryan O'Reilly, but again, if things are working the way that they're supposed to, you can roll four lines. That's been the problem for Craig Berube. Yeah. And I'll say this. You mentioned Perron playing on the left side. I know people hate to say it because you don't want to break up the trio, but Jordan Cairo is a guy who can play on the left side too if you need to move a right winger, and that's two games now where you haven't got any point production from those two. So it it's going to resolve itself as the cliche saying goes. But you do have to find out who's going to be playing left wing when Tarasenko comes back. Let's go through some more Blues quick hitters. So Robert Thomas is out. You mentioned you've got a couple of guys that you're going to be keeping an eye on in his absence. Braden Shin was asked about that over the weekend. Who needs to step up? How does this team overcome what is a pretty significant injury for him? Well, this is what the team's built on, uh, as you said, is depth, and, and we have it. And, and, and obviously every, every player in that locker room always looks for more ice time, and, and now there's an opportunity for, for guys to, to move up in the lineup and, and and step up and and i'm sure guys will uh deliver they're built on depth but eventually they need that depth to be able to actually come through for them oscar sunquist three points on the year two of those goals if i'm not mistaken opening night right yeah he hasn't had a goal since then mm-hmm. he has one point since then zach sanford on the year two points Tyler Bozak, I understand, has been out for the last few games, but two points on the year. Barbashev, two points on the year. Clifford, two points. These are the guys that you need to step up, and right now we're not seeing it from then. So, Alex, you mentioned the two that you're going to be paying attention to most, Sanford and Barbashev. What do we need to see while Robert Thomas is out from those two guys? You got to see aggressiveness, as Craig Ruby talked about. You put heavy guys on every one of those lines. You got to see consistent forecheck. I mean, if you go and look at the games that the Blues have won this season, what's the what's the key ingredient? The fact that they're con- con- consistently putting offensive pressure and cycling the puck and creating off offensive zone time. And frankly, these last couple of games that they've struggled and they haven't had that. They've had a line or two that have been out there, but then as soon as they go to the third or fourth line, they haven't gotten anything from it, and it's back to the top guys that are just already wasted in terms of exhaustion. So if I'm looking at Ivan and Zach, I'm looking at them creating offense. I'm looking at Barbashev forechecking the puck so that he can create zone time and space for Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron to score. I'm looking for Zach Sanford to play heavy but also create those scoring chances for himself. It seems to be he's more passive this season than he is shooting the puck. And we know he's got a great shot. There's more guys that need to be talked about, and I know we'll get into it a little bit later. But for now, if I'm looking at Sanford and Barbashev as my two to key in on, it's got to be creating offense and really finding your name on the stat sheet because that's essentially what the problem is right now. And this goes for everyone, but those two in particular, you got to back check and play defense as a forward as well. I want to see more out of Sunquist. I know that's the easy guy to go with just because it's the literal one-for-one replacement for Robert Thomas, but I love Sonny. We all love Sonny. We think of him, as you just said, as the kind of the fixer, right? He's the guy you can put him on any line in any spot, and he's going to find a way to get the job done. He's averaged about 11 minutes on the ice per game in terms of five-on-five ice time so far this year. Mm -hmm. That's not much. He really hasn't. In terms of like the actual on-ice production since the first game of the year, hasn't given this team a whole lot. I need more out of him. And if they're going to be without Robert Thomas as expect as is expected for the next four to six weeks at a minimum, 
he's got to step up in a big way. Got to be good on the face-offs. You've got to, you've got to be able to win some, at least your fair share of those. You've got to be in a spot where he's able to get the most out of his wingers, especially with two guys that have been underperforming for much of the year with Hoffman and Sanford next to him right now. They're asking a lot out of Oscar Sundquist, but when we're talking about him as being a guy that they're going to potentially protect in the expansion draft going into this summer, they need him to be able to come through on something like that. So Oscar Sundquist would be the number one guy that I would be looking at there. Yeah, especially five on five. The problem, I mean, he's so good shorthanded for them that that's where it kind of makes up for those issues. But that's why I'm. he's going to have a big role too now, BK, is he's going to be on that third line center position that Robert Thomas. And if you look at their numbers, they're basically similar in terms of even strength ice time this season. Problem for the Blues is they have six guys that are performing at even strength. Everyone else seems to be falling short. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service text line from the 314 guys Tampa Bay almost pulled out the championship trifecta as far as sports championships are concerned they will have a title in hockey and football and they were on the brink of having one in baseball what city do you believe would be the next that could have or even get close to pulling off that championship trifecta I think LA is the first one that immediately comes to mind. But I don't know who else is going to do it besides the Lakers and the Dodgers. Yeah, nobody in hockey can pull it off. Clippers could do it. And then. Well, the Clippers are in the NBA with the Lakers. That's what I'm saying. Like, you could have either of those two teams playing the odds. And then. (laughs) I I mean, the Rams. Yeah. Yeah, they're not that would you consider them the trifecta though if then one of the other because Tampa's luxury is they didn't have four teams, right? They don't have a basketball team. Yeah, I mean, kind of they do this year with the Raptors, but. Yeah, that doesn't. That's like Buffalo Blue Jays. Sure, but, but I, would you consider it the LA if the Kings are the worst yeah. team in hockey? Yeah, yeah. If you if you I get mean, three titles, I think that's the trifecta. I I don't think there's another city that's I was super say, close, I was thinking right? The biggers, bigger ones. New York, no. I don't even know if they have a good team. I'm in thinking New York. of hockey teams right Yankees, now too. Like the Capitals can be close, but I don't see the football team ever winning a championship yeah. anytime soon. I, Chicago, I, yeah. Chicago's no. not close. I would say in LA. Any of them. No, you're true. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have a single team in any of the major professional sports. Maybe the White Sox, but I would, I would say LA. Because that's the LA's closest, the closest one to a one. trifecta. Or frankly, Tampa again. But I was going to say, Tampa might do it again, but I think the Rays will take a step back. Yeah, I think yeah. LA would be the closest. I think LA and Tampa are the two closest right now. Man, I'm trying to think. Boston. Nah, right. Red Sox are far away. Yeah, well, far away right now. The Celtics are in such a bad conference, too, to to try and compete for a championship. I think that would be the next closest thing that you could get, though. Just because, like, I I could see those teams getting closer quicker. What about Pittsburgh? Now, well, wait, who's the Pirates? Baseball's, Pirates. Baseball's I was going to say, who's the You're going in the polar, polar opposite direction. <laughs> baseball's going to be tough for the Pirates. What about Washington, though? Like, if they get themselves a good quarterback. Like Taylor Heineke? <laughs> no, not oh. that. Not that good. I mean, they got, a, they got a strong defense, and I know they got shown up against their opponent in the postseason. Yeah. But I mean, Taylor Heineke had the best game against that Bucks defense of any of the quarterbacks. Yeah, he, he was better against them than Breeze, Rodgers, or Mahomes, but I mean, which is wild to say, but it's true. The Wizards aren't going to be 
anywhere near that, but no. the Are Nationals they... can compete. Yeah. If you get, the, I mean, the Capitals are probably one of the favorites right now, and then you get uh, the football team that can be at least competitive. If San Diego still had the Chargers, they could get close with the two, but they don't have a third. I was going to say, That's who's the our third? They Someone, don't have one. Someone said Nashville. I don't see that. What a, Mostly for the NHL. What about, I don't know if Golden State still counts. Aren't they, where are they at? San Francisco. Okay San Francisco, area. maybe? Yeah. The 49ers, if they get a quarterback, could possibly do it. They're, you look at uh, yeah. drawing a blank. The Warriors, they can shoot the ball. They can't play defense. I watched them the, this weekend. Who's coming out of the baseball then, side of things? The Giants. Giants okay. are going to be a, a better years, team in, yeah. a, in a year or two. So yeah. I, I, I'm actually going to say San Francisco. They're not getting Nolan Arenado. Yeah, we know <laughs> that now. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. All right, guys. Um, Let's go ahead and do this. It's oh. the way too early Super Bowl betting odds for Super Bowl 56. They're out. They I'll came out last Brady. night. It's fine. The Chiefs are the favorites right now. They are five and a half to one. After that, I'll give you a few of the options. Got the Packers at nine to one. The Bucks are at 11 to one. Ravens and Bills both at 12 to one. Your Rams, Tanner, are at 13 to one. 49ers yes. at 14 to one. And then it goes on from there if you want to look at any of the more long shot odds. The Ravens? Ravens right now are sitting at 12 to one along with the bills. Really? Yeah. If you could make a bet today, take into account the value of the pick and everything. If you could, if I handed you a hundred dollars today to place on a team to win next year's Super Bowl, who would you place that bet on? hundred dollars. You're being handed well, the, the hundred dollars. It's not my money. Risk exactly. it for the biscuit. Let's go Jacksonville. But uh, no, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, realistic with a hundred dollars. OK, I would say Chiefs. I, I'd have to say Chiefs. I think they're going to be really good again next year. And they're gonna going to have going out on a limb there, big guy. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I saw. Hey, BK's, I, went, I went Jacksonville and I got laughed at. So. I saw BK's tweet earlier today. How much money they have spent towards next season? Oh, they, they've got a lot of cap decisions coming. They've got two hundred million dollars committed now. The cap is expected to be one hundred and eighty million dollars. So they're going to have some some decisions to make. Can't upgrade that defense when you're twenty million over that cap. What I wonder. I don't have the number in front of me. What's Baltimore's cap situation like? Because they still have Lamar on the rookie straight. contract. They just dropped Ingram. They did just drop Ingram. They spent some big bucks on defense last season, if I'm not mistaken. They're at 165 right now. So they've got $15 million so dollars to spend as of today. They've got cap space. I, I would maybe say them, but I just don't like Jackson the, as a quarterback. What are the Browns' odds, BK? The Browns right now are listed at 20 to 1. If you're giving me 100 bucks, I'd put it on Cleveland. That's a good one. I like that actually. I mean, those are some those are some deep odds, but after what I saw, I think they could. Part of me wants to say Tampa, but I, I'm going to go Cleveland here. Hundred bucks. Maybe the best bet's the Dolphins, twenty-eight to one. They may get Watson. It may be worth it. Yeah. I like that one. I like the Steelers as well at twenty-eight to one. Yeah, that's a good one. If they can get healthy, I mean, it wasn't like they were a bad team this year. They got hurt. Ben didn't look like himself in the playoffs, and that's obviously something you have to take into account. But I, I, the Steelers at 28 to one are interesting to me. I also love the 49ers at 14 to one, because I think what you're basically betting on here is they upgrade at quarterback this offseason. And if they do, they will not stay at 14 to one for the betting odds. They'll they'll skyrocket. They'll go closer to like 11 to one with the Bucs. I think they'll kind of be the co-favorites with the Packers and the Bucs going into next season. I'm shocked that the Saints have this good of odds because we don't know the yeah, quarterback. Who's the quarterback? Who's Jason the quarterback? Hill, guys. And they are in quarter, or not quarterback, they are in cap hell. Like they are oh, they, in really bad cap well, hell. Well, did you see an underrated story over the weekend? Drew Brees changed his cap hit. 
So he's now only going to account for a million against the cap next year because he converted a bunch of signing bonus stuff over. So that that's going to help them a lot. They still have issues to take care of, but that that was a storyline that kind of went under the radar. I think it was the latest indication Sounds that he's like going to be retiring. coming back. Yeah, for huh? sure. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll get to more of your questions, more of your comments throughout the day today. Coming up next, I heard something earlier today from Adam Schefter that frankly caught me off guard. And it's one of the many reasons why, as a Chiefs fan, it wasn't the worst thing in the world for me to watch the Bucks win last night. We'll talk about that and why I kind of fell in love with this Buccaneers team coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. When he became a free agent in mid-March, there were two teams, two teams that seriously pursued him. The Los Angeles Chargers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So there were 30 other teams that thought they had a better quarterback solution than going out and getting the greatest player in NFL history at the most impactful position, a man capable of changing your entire culture. How could 30 teams... Take a look at a guy where you didn't even have to trade any picks to New England. All you had to do was hand your program to him. And there were two teams that wanted to do mm-hmm. that. That was Adam Schefter on Get Up earlier today. The Bucks and the Chargers, that's it. Those are the only teams that were willing to take on Tom Brady. Think about that for a second. Let's go back a calendar year. Tom Brady's coming off a awful postseason performance against Tennessee. He gets the pick six. That's the way his time in New England comes to an end. He's going to start looking for a team. And now all of his options start dwindling. He wants to, it was reported. He wanted to go to San Francisco, San Francisco took a look at what they had. And they were like, you know what, Tom, we're good. We're going to go ahead and stick here with Tom Brady or we'll with, stick Jimmy, with Jimmy G now San Francisco is looking for a new quarterback. This off season. Is Tom available. You think they would like to have Tom Brady as their quarterback? How much different does that organization look today? We just talked about the Super Bowl 56 odds. They would be the favorites in the NFC going into next year if they had Tom Brady instead of Jimmy Garoppolo. Instead, they're stuck looking for a quarterback. This is why it's it's one of the reasons why it didn't hurt quite as bad last, last night for me as a Chiefs fan to watch that team win. Because they went for it, man. They went into the offseason and they said, we are all in. Whatever it takes to win a Super Bowl, we're doing it. We're going to find a way. We believe in our roster talent. We believe that we've done enough to build up this offensive line. This defense we think is really good. We believe that our problem last year was Jameis Winston. We didn't have a quarterback capable of winning the Super Bowl. And if we go get one that is capable of doing that, we think we're going to be able to get the job done. And I'll be damned if they didn't do exactly that. Alex, last night it wasn't the weapons that we talked so much about in the offseason. No. Mike Evans had one catch. Chris Godwin finished that game with nine yards. Antonio Brown averaged four yards per target in that game. It was Gronk. It was the defensive line. It was the offensive line that kept Brady clean the entire night. It was Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. It was the supporting cast that this general manager and Jason Light put together. Just, I, I think they deserve a ton of credit because so many teams could have had him. And only two of them were interested. The Chargers, who ended up getting their quarterback and... 
found a way, and they're going to be all right with Justin Herbert and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So for me, I'm glad to see that was rewarded because you don't see it often enough. Teams actually going for a title. The Bucs did, and they got the job. Especially in the NFL. I'm sitting here trying to think as you're talking, BK, of when was the last time an NFL team went all in like that? We've seen that. Remember the dream team with the Eagles? Now, it didn't work out like this at all. Um, But that was one of those where they signed Namdi Asamoah. Vince Young was signed. They went quote-unquote all-in at that point in time, but Seattle, it's, it's pretty rare. I mean, Seattle went all-in with a lot of those players. Now, I know a lot of those guys were draft picks, but they kind of went all-in with some of the signings that they did and the money that they threw around. The Broncos with with Peyton, Peyton Manning, Manning. Whenever they signed but him, even they, that, I mean, did they make other moves? Yeah, with DeMarcus him? Ware came over. TJ Ward, I think, was the safety that they but signed. I, I don't think they ever added anything like offensively to help him. Yeah, the defense. But I'm thinking well, defense all in, won that championship. What, though. I, what I'm thinking all in, I'm thinking you focus on one side of the ball. Brought in Wes Walker. Um, That's right. I they did about get Walker. They, they added some talent around him for sure. Here's um, the thing, though. I mean, you're you can talk about other teams going all in. But no team has done what Tampa did in terms of going after the best quarterback to play the game, who's available. But then on top of it, surrounding him with the cast. I mean, Tom Brady recruited Antonio Brown. He brought Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. He got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to say, hey, let's take this Leonard Fournette who's on waivers right now. And who I called the scrub. And by the way, that dude proved me wrong this postseason. I, know, I really wish he was we could great. go back and find that audio. He was great. He, he, he was I looked this up earlier today. I think the last time that a running back had 400 scrimmage yards in the postseason, you have to go all the way back to Terrell Davis Yikes. in 1998. He had one of the better postseasons that we've seen by a running back in 20 years. It, yeah. it was outstanding what he did this postseason. It proved me completely wrong. So that's what I mean, even on the defensive side. I mean, look, you made the signing of Indomitian Sue. You spent the money on that. I mean, you, you spent the draft picks to get defense. I mean, you went all in for Bruce Arians. Barrett brought him back on a big time franchise tag. You don't see that. And that's why you do respect kind of what Tampa did because you want that, right? We're talking about that in St. Louis now with the Cardinals going all in and the Blues going all in. If you're Tampa, you you respect the hell out of what that ownership did to fight for that championship because they have a great nucleus in place. But you go out there and you get the pieces that can take that nucleus to the next level. And that's what Tom and those other pieces help them provide. Yeah, a lot of owners would have been like, yeah, we're good. Let's build yeah. for the future. Let's build Let, around let's build Jared Goff. Let's build something sustainable, right? That That is what you always get sold. Well, we don't want to just compete for the right now. What about the next five years? We'll worry about that when we get there. If you're Tampa Bay and you're looking around your roster, and you're like, I, I think we're really good. I and obviously they were proven correct on this, but at the time there were some questions. You know, is this team as good as they think it is? They were proven correct. That team was really, really talented. I don't know how they only had one pro, one player selected to the Pro yeah. Bowl this year, because those linebackers fly around the field like probably nobody else in the league. The defensive line was dominant all postseason, but certainly last night. The offensive line is outstanding. And then you look at the weapons like we've talked so much about this year and as was discussed ad nausea whenever he chose to go to Tampa Bay. It's a really talented roster and it's full kudos to that front office for being able and willing to recruit Tom Brady to make sure that he is completely comfortable in the surroundings. His personal trainer guy Guerrero, he's like on the sidelines in Bucks gear. That was not happening in New England. Um, Bringing back Rob Gronkowski willing Having the willingness to go sign when everybody else wanted no part of him, uh, Antonio Brown, which was a Tom Brady thing. All of that is a reflection of how much they were willing to do to make sure that he was comfortable there. 
I do want to talk about how I kind of fell in love with the Bucks last night. Fell I, in love with them last night? I I didn't see this coming. But during the game, let's start with Antoine, Antoine Winfield Jr. Did you guys see his taunting? Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. I, I'm sure there were a lot of Chiefs fans that were like, that is very unprofessional. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I loved it. So Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, this is on the interception, right? That's when that took place. They get the interception, and he goes up into Tyreek Hill's face, gives him the peace sign that Tyreek did to him back in week 12 or whatever it was when Tyreek had 200 yards in the first quarter. Here's Antoine Winfield talking after the game about why he had to do it. The taunting, man, I, it's something I just had to do. Um, when we played him earlier, you know, Hill went off on us. He backflipped in front of my face, gave me the peace sign. So it was only right that I gave him the peace sign right back to him. At this moment, it, it felt amazing to be able to do that. <laughs> Not even going to lie. You take that penalty Absolutely. every day of the it week. It was amazing. That, to me, I think is a joke that they throw a flag for that. Because it, it was definitely taunting. I understand, but they didn't throw a flag with Tyree Kill backflipping into the end zone. Yeah. So if we're going to let one go, you let the other go. I, look, I, I know that they throw the flag to try and stop it getting out of control. That's fun, though. Like, come on. And if anybody had it coming his way, it was Tyreek Hill. It's Tyreek Hill. You yeah. know, like the, the Chiefs do plenty of talking on their own. Did That's you? not a team that keeps their mouth shut when things are going well. So kudos to Antoine Winfield Jr. I liked it. Did you see Tyreek Hill after the flag was thrown on that? And he walked over to the official and he put his hands back. It's like, hey, man, thank you for that. Hey, like, the game on. is the game. He knows. Yeah. He knows what what's going on. Uh, by the way, Antoine Winfield Jr., not the only Buccaneer that was talking a little bit of trash during and after the game Shaq Barrett in his post game presser was asked about Andrew Wiley who he just worked over in that game here's what Shaq Barrett the Bucks defensive end who probably should have been the MVP said afterwards 77 he was talking so much he made me mad <laughs> 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 what did he say what did he say I don't even know what he was saying because it didn't matter I was talking to him I know that was tough to hear there. It's it's from NFL Network. So he said, I told him he's trash. I told him he's a scrub. He's going to have to take a train home because they're not going to let him back onto the plane to Kansas City. <laughs> I, I kind of fell in love with the Buccaneers last night. I know I'm not supposed to say that as a Chiefs fan, but man, watching those guys and the way that they conducted themselves, it... When it comes to, like, sportsmanship and stuff, yeah, I get it if you're not a big fan. I loved it. I absolutely loved the way that they handled themselves. They went up against a team that talks a lot of trash, and they gave it right back to them. You got it to. I mean, look, if you're going to send it one way, you're going to have to back it up and be able to accept it the other way. And I understand people's narrative of not liking it. What does it say for kids that are watching it? I get it, right? Like, that's it's a conversation you have to have individually. But in a game like that, Here's the, here's the conversation you have with your kid. If you're somebody, we got a text from the 314. I respect the motive, but what message are you guys sending to the youth? It was taunting and it should be flagged every time. Here's the message you tell your kid. If you're watching that and you don't want him to follow in those footsteps. Son, if you make it to the Super Bowl and you make the biggest play of the game in the Super Bowl, you, you can, can go ahead that. and taunt your right. opponent. In the meantime, until you get to that place... You can't do that. Right. Once you get to the Super Bowl, though, 
If you're making that play, go ahead and taunt. Yep. I think that's a pretty good message to be able to send to your kid. I agree. And like it or not, this is everywhere, man. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're doing it nonstop. And I mean, you respect Winfield for the fact that he remembers something like that, that Tyree Kill did to him in week 13 of the season. And you got to earn it. You got to earn the right to be able to do that kind of trash talk. And you earn it by, first of all, working your ass off to get to the point where you are a professional athlete. And then working so hard that not only are you a professional athlete, but you're on the best team in the league in the biggest game of the year, and you make the biggest right. play of that game. That's how you get to make It'd that. Be kind different of a play. if that was like the first play of the first quarter, and it's like, okay, what are we doing here, sure. Winfield? Or it's like Tyron Matthew when he when the touchdown's thrown, and then he's taunting Tom Brady. Have you guys seen the replay of that? Listen, I, Tyron and I have had our back and forths before. Um, he he wasn't entirely in the wrong there. Brady was the one that came up to him, and then Matthew got in his face. Both of them were in the wrong. It is what it is. And then whatever. Brady chased him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Brady <laughs> was the one that ran after him. It, they, they didn't do a great job of explaining that on the broadcast, but once you see some of the replays, it does make a little bit more sense as to why Matthew went after him. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So, about this Blues power play. I know. Alex told me it was not only going to be the best in the league, but the best in Blues history. Hasn't exactly been that. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We were just having a typical St. Louis conversation of where did you graduate from high school off air? Alex comes on. He's like, yeah, I graduated with 1,500 kids. Nope. I had no idea Alex went to high school at Lindenwood. I nope. <laughs> was unaware. Almost. I think I added 1,000 by accident. 500, 1,500. It's the same thing, guys. I was like, Alex, where did you go, man? He's a fox. I went to fox. Uh, well, I'm looking this up right now. Uh, Fox had about 1,700 kids, grades 9 through 12. So <laughs> maybe not 1,500 in the graduating class. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario. So let's talk about the Blues power play. Because it seems like there are times when the opponent has 1,500 players on their penalty kill so far this year. Nice transition. What's going on, Alex? Uh, you're my you're my Blues insider. You're my Blues expert. Why why is this happening? Because I was sold that this was going to be one of the best power play units, not only in the league but in franchise history. Okay, I get it. I get it. I threw that all uh, uh, the exaggeration out there at the beginning of the season. But can you blame me with the weapons that they had and last year being the second best in franchise history? Can you blame me for looking at this and say Mike Hoffman, Tory Krug? Yeah, this is going to be awesome. They just haven't gotten to the, not, the the start that they wanted. And I think Craig Berube said it best in postgame the other night, BK. He said, right now, the confidence of this team is shaken. They're they're gripping the sticks too hard. They're trying to make plays that they, they shouldn't be making. And it's carrying over into the power play. The power play is carrying over into the even strength game. It's kind of affecting itself. And so I went and looked at this. It's bad right now. I mean, you're four for 40 right now, 12 games through the season, which is 28th worst in the National Hockey League. But then I went and looked at it last season because I'm thinking, okay, did this get off to a slow start before? In the first 10 games, BK, they had a total of six power play goals and about 26 opportunities. So not 
what it is now. Yeah, I mean, that's like three times as good as it is right now. But remember, they're not taking as many penalties back then that they are now. I mean, you've taken four or you've gotten 40 power plays to this point, whereas a lot of the 26 in the first 10. That's like 24 percent. They're 10 percent right now. Right. But that was 10 games in and 12 games. So, I mean, there's a couple of extras that go into it. But it got it's gotten off to a slow start before. But Craig Bruby has obviously changed it up because he's not happy with it. And I said it on postgame the other night. You got to make a change out there. Like, Tory Krug's not working right now with that top unit. They need to put Justin Falk out there. Falk was on that power play unit today. They need to switch around the, the the four forwards and get Hoffman back on that number one unit. Well, they put Hoffman and Sunquist up on that number one unit with, if I'm not mistaken, it was O'Reilly and Perron skating with Justin Falk as the number one unit. And then the second unit is Shen, Schwartz, Cairo, um, and then it's Vince Krug Dunn. And Dunn. So they're switching it up. They're going to two defensemen on one unit, one different defenseman on that first unit. It's what you need to do. You need to throw a little shakeup into this. And I think there's still some learning curves that go into this. We've talked about it. You can make it an excuse or not. Other teams have found a way to make it effective. So there's no point in using it about the preseason. But I still think this will turn around. The problem is you've lost these last two games because of the power play, because you've been down by a goal or two goals you could get back into the hockey game and you've been given ample opportunities on the power play to get the momentum back on your side, to tie things up. Blues have been getting shots, but they're not converting. And the shots are great, but you got to find the back of the net sooner or later. But I still feel like this will break through. I just wish we could see some production behind it. Like if you look at, so I know it's nerdy, the expected goals for, for the Blues on the power play, Uh, They should be better than this. The expected goals for the Blues on the power play based on the shots that they're getting is seven. They have four. So that would be better. It's still not good, though. Seven goals out of 40 attempts is still pretty darn bad. Again, better, but still not good. They're just not getting high danger chances very often on the power play right now. And if you look at that, they're 26th in the league. They have 13 high danger chances on 40 power play opportunities. That's terrible, man. You've got to get more of those around the net. Uh, to put this in perspective, they have 13 high, da- high danger chances when they're on the power play. While they're on the power play, their opponents on a PK have four high danger chances against the Blues. They're a man down and they're getting four chances on the PK. It's it's I, I don't know how you fix this. And I think that's what's so frustrating if you're a Blues fan right now as you're watching, you're like, The talent is there. As you said, there's a reason why you were so high on this unit going into the year. Why isn't it working? Mm -hmm. And so we hear about the chemistry. We hear about them holding on to the sticks too tight, the compete level. I don't know what it is. I don't. I would love to know, like, I'm I'm going to be listening to the fast lane later today. Hopefully Jamie has a good explanation for this. I know we're going to try to get some people on it. They just, for whatever reason, haven't been able to figure this thing out with the personnel that they have right now. And honestly, of all of the developments of the year thus far, it's probably the most surprising to me that they haven't been able to get this figured out. And remember, the other thing, they're so predictable out there. And that's why I think Craig Berube switched it up a little bit because, I mean, these these teams can read the play before it's even taken. And look at the amount of blocked shots that have happened on power plays. Look at the amount of missed nets that have happened on the power play. 
you just got to switch up that personnel a little bit. Now, also remember that the number seems inflated this season. How many power plays have been taken away from this Blues team because they're taking those dumb penalties when they have the power play, right? We've seen David Perron do it a couple of times where they start the power play and the next thing you know, power play taken away 16 seconds in. Now, still affects your power play numbers, but that kind of alters it a little bit. But I, I, I would expect to start to see a little bit of a change here because one, you're getting deeper into the season, but two, he's going with different faces out there. So maybe you can find right now, it just seems like you're waiting to find that right combination as you're searching for it, right? You just keep clicking numbers and hope that it matches. And I think that's what Craig Ruby's searching for right now, trying to find out what's going to work. I mean, if you look at it and examine it more, BK, he's putting Shen Schwartz and Kairou basically together on a power play yeah. unit. And he's doing that with two defensemen, Krug and Dunn, who you basically move the got puck. a normal five man unit out there. Exactly. And then your first unit, you're putting Sunquist, who is a workhorse. You're putting, you're utilizing O'Reilly with those faceoff wins. And now on that one, you have two one timer chances on either side of the net. Yeah. On that power play, you basically have the O'Reilly Perron line out there I with, mean, yeah, with, with Hoffman, Hoffman on the other mm-hmm. side. And you've got Justin Falk, who's been really he's been one of their best producers so far this yeah. season. So I, I think the real hope here is maybe Justin Falk can bring a little something to the table that they haven't had out there previously. And it's crazy. It's crazy that we have arrived at this point. But as much as the power play has been a problem, Falk has been the answer to a lot of the Blues issues this year. Maybe he can solve this one as well. He's, he's improved their play at five on five. I have been super impressed with him so far this year. If, if he can fix the power play as well, this is why you brought him in. Mm-hmm. This is why you gave him the contract that he received. He was a power play specialist before, and hopefully he can get back to doing some of that in the future because the Blues certainly need it right now. Blues versus Coyotes pregame coverage coming up tonight with Alex Ferrario at 6 o'clock. We'll have puck drop coming up at 7. Coming up next, Mark Reynolds, former Cardinals first baseman, also played with Nolan Arenado out in Colorado. What did he see from Nolan as the first baseman? What's Paul Goldschmidt going to expect from him as the Cardinals first baseman this year? Mark Reynolds will tell us coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. A little bit of news to pass along. Some pretty cool news here. According to the Kirkwood High School Athletic Department Twitter account, they're expected to announce their next head football coach, Jeremy Macklin. Nice. Former Missouri Tiger, former Kansas City Chief, former Philadelphia Eagle, and of course, St. Louis native. Jeremy Macklin expected to be named the next head football coach over at Kirkwood. So Sounds like Eli Drinkwitz has got another uh, intel to get uh, some uh, local high school kids How to about the team. that? Pretty awesome. His, his cousin, uh, Jay Macklin, played at Kirkwood a couple of years ago, now up at Mizzou. So uh, we'll try to touch out or touch base with Jeremy Macklin, see if we can hear what his plans are for that football program. Right now, though, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Mark Reynolds, former Cardinals, former Rockies first baseman. Always appreciate his time. Mark, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How y'all doing? Doing well. So you got to watch Nolan Arenado in person for a couple of years out in Colorado. For Cardinals fans that haven't been able to watch him on a day-in, day-out basis, what are we about to be able to watch with Arenado here in St. Louis? Uh, For lack of a better word, probably greatness. I mean, the guy is, is unbelievable. His work ethic, his character, his, you know, his commitment to to being the best ball player he can be um 
fun to be around and just a great dude. Does that change the dynamic of a clubhouse, Mark? I mean, we've heard it from so many people that when you have a player like that who's the first one on the field, he's the last one out of the clubhouse, it just seems to amp everyone else up uh, when it comes to game time. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you saw it with the Bucks just now. You know, you get Tom Brady and the, the whole culture changes. I'm not saying Nolan's Tom, but <laughs> you get a, a future Hall of Famer and someone that, that has a track record of success and, um, you know, you put in that lineup with Goldie, uh, you know, it's going to be a pretty, pretty good, you know, three, four hole, uh, you know, for, for the Cardinals out there. Mark, we hear so much about his work ethic, his competitive nature. Do you remember any stories, any anecdotes about when you were with Colorado, like what it was like to be with a guy such as Nolan Arenado? Do, do you remember a particular story that kind of showed off that work ethic? I wouldn't say anything in particular. Uh, well, he's always doing like, you know, in the, he's always in the weight room doing like his batting stance in the mirror. And, you know, he's at his locker dry, you know, dry sw- swinging. And, you know, if there's any reporters around, they know to stay away from Nolan because he's always going to swing a bat. You never know when it's going to happen. <laughs> um, but I, I think the biggest takeaway that I had from him is, you know, I, I played first base for a long time. I, you know, I played with, with Manny in Baltimore. Uh, you know, Rendon and, and Washington and really good third baseman, but you, a lot of times the ball is hit as a first baseman. You can tell like, you know, you get it, you give it like the courtesy run to the bag, you know, and, and, you know, the ball's in left field, but with, with Nolan over there, <laughs> you better get to the bag because the ball's going to be coming at you. He's going to get to everything. He's going to try to make every single play, you know, even on foul balls, you know, the ball is foul. He'll still throw it right, right to you. So you got to be always heads up. And that's that's the one thing that I really noticed about him and Trevor Story both. That whole left side of the infield and DJ. I mean, we had a really good infield, and these guys get to everything, and and, and they make all the plays. And you know, even as a first baseman, you you sometimes in your mind, oh, that's a knock. And then you get to the bag and turn around. And you got to ready to catch the ball because these guys are amazing. All right, Mark, you said it. So now I'm curious. Did you ever have one of those situations as a first baseman where you find yourself watching Nolan Arenado? I'm like, oh, crap, he just made that play. I need to get over here. <laughs> yeah, the, there was one play in particular. I remember Yachty. We were in uh, Denver. Yachty was hitting. And Yachty hit uh, the, uh, hard, uh, like a hard one-hop right to Nolan or something. And I'm standing at first. I don't have time to go to the bag and, like, I look up and and Nolan's like picked it and spun around and like messed with Yachty, and I was like, "This is really cool, but I got to get to the bag so Nolan can complete this play." I don't know if you guys remember that, but and Yachty's like, "Are you kidding me with this guy?" <laughs> and now they're potentially teammates, which is just incredible to talk about. Mark, I'm curious because you did spend that one season in St. Louis that everyone remembers. It was that 100 win season um, where they finished first in the NL Central. You've seen the commitment to winning from the Cardinals organization, but when you see a move like this, does it just prove it even more that this Cardinals team is all about finding ways to put themselves in, in championship windows? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's what I feel like the the culture there is, is what you know, like Mo and those guys create. Even with the fans, they expect the product on the field. You know, there, of course, there's going to be downtimes, but that you know, for I think for most of the time, they expect a winning a winning team out there. And you know, the fans always show up and support, and um, it's always packed at Bush. And you know, I think that with Nolan them going to get Nolan really shows that it was like, Hey, we, we, they believe they have a window 
and they're going to, you know, get Nolan and they got Goldie and it's just, you know, it shows Mo and Mo and the ownership's commitment to, to putting a product on the field uh, that the fans would appreciate and show up for and really cheer for. Former Cardinals and Rockies first baseman Mark Reynolds joining us here on 101 ESPN. Mark, one thing that I did want to ask you about is what these kinds of moves, I mean, first adding Paul Goldschmidt, now Nolan Arenado, what does this do for their teammates, specifically Dylan Carlson and Paul DeYoung? DeYoung was asked to be the cleanup hitter in recent seasons. He's probably going to move down now to batting fifth behind Goldschmidt and uh, Arenado. And then Carlson, who's a very young player that the Cardinals really seem to love, is probably going to be batting second in front of those two guys. For the guys sitting in front of and behind Arenado, what does this do for them when you have that kind of protection in the lineup? Well, whoever's sitting in front of them better be ready to hit because they're going to get a lot of pitches, uh, especially being in front of Nolan and Goldie. And whoever's sitting behind them better be ready to hit with a lot of dudes on base because they're going to pitch around Nolan and Goldie to get to whoever, whoever's on deck. So, um, you know, I, I never hit in front of Nolan, but I hit behind him plenty. And uh, he's, it's either him or someone else is always on base because they, they pitch around him and they want to get to the next guy because they, they don't want that one guy to beat you and, and, uh, you know, Paul's a great hitter. Uh, DeYoung is a great hitter, and he's going to have to learn to, you know, there are a lot of times at a big spot they're probably going to walk Nolan or Goldie to get to him. And, they, you know, to go up there and don't take it personal. Don't, you know, don't try harder than you than you should. Just relax and let it come to you. And I think he'll he'll figure that out. He's been in the league for a while. He's a good player. He'll, he'll know what to do. And, and I think he'll be just fine and dandy and driving a lot of runs for him next year. Does that take pressure off of other guys, uh, Mark, when you have players like like Nolan and Paul that it seems like everybody's focused in on their – they have high expectations for those two. But when you're guys like DeYoung or Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson, when you're lower in that order, it takes pressure off you, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, because those guys are making, you know, $35 million a year. They're expected hmm. to do it. You know, you're a young guy, uh, you know, and, and – just kind of in the shadows of those two giants, uh, you know, it definitely takes pressure off. Um, but at the same time, you know, you maybe add a little, not from the fans pressure wise, but from, you know, your manager or your teammates or the front office pressure wise, like, Hey dude, you're in the spot and these guys are always on base. We need to, you know, we got to get some production because if these two aren't, if these two are on base and they're getting walked or whatever, you got to be there to pick them up. And I, you know, it's added pressure in that way, but I, I, you know, whoever it's behind them or down the lineup will have plenty of opportunities to drive and run and that, you know, they're professionals and they'll be fine. Last question that I've got for Mark Reynolds, former Cardinals and Rockies first baseman played with Nolan Arenado in Colorado. Mark, you had a 13 year major league career. You played for eight different teams in that time. What was it like? What is Nolan Arenado going to expect once he comes here to St. Louis? What's what's that reception like? What is it like for you when you played in that 100-win season? What's it like playing here in St. Louis whenever you do have that caliber of a of a team in front of these fans? Um, you know, I think it's you know, Nolan's the most humble, like just laid-back superstar you'll ever see. He, you know, and, and he doesn't expect anything. I, you know, I, he's one of my best friends, and we we still talk to this day and. He was out actually at the Phoenix Open uh, playing in the uh, the Waste Management Pro-Am. And, and, you know, we were FaceTiming and stuff. He was showing me. It was, it was really neat. And he's the most humble, unassuming superstar you'll ever meet. Um, he just goes about his business. He doesn't care about attention. He doesn't care about media. He doesn't get in trouble. He's he's always uh, 
working at baseball, always worried about baseball. I think he will definitely appreciate, you know, the Clydesdales going around on opening day. He'll appreciate the fans cheering him. He'll appreciate, you know, I'm sure the multiple curtain calls he's going to receive uh, from from the appreciative fans. Uh, and I tell you what, if he even if he goes out and struggles, maybe trying to live up to the pressure of the hype, it it's not going to get to him. He's gonna he'll get out of it and. You know, at the end of the year, you're going to look up. He's going to have 30 plus homers, 100 plus RBIs every single year. You can write it down, and and uh, you know he he's the one the one guy I played with that that can live up to the hype of the money he's being paid. Mark, do you have any personal stories with Nolan Arenado that are suitable for air? We we heard from him last week. He was on our afternoon show, and he was talking about the time where he was in the car with Matt Holliday, and they were talking with Matt Carpenter about hitting, and they they kept going so long and missed their exit and everything because they were so distracted by talking about hitting that they literally ran out of gas on the side of the road. Do you have any other good Nolan Arenado stories for us? Uh, I got a lot. I don't know if I could say a lot of them, but uh, <laughs> we've had some fun over the years. But uh, you know, oh man, I I don't know. We not nothing that pops straight to my brain that I could literally talk about. But uh, you know, he's going to be awesome, and fans are going to love him. You guys are going to love him. The media, everyone is. He's he's going to come there, fit in, and be great, and and just enjoy you know the rest of his Hall of Fame career there in St. Louis, and. And uh, you know, I couldn't be happier for him to to get somewhere where he's going to be. Not not saying that he wasn't appreciated in Colorado, but to actually, you know, not have like turmoil and and be wanted and and be welcomed, and everyone's going to love him. And I, I just couldn't be happier for the guy. He's Mark Reynolds, former Cardinals and Rockies first baseman, had a fantastic major league career, 13 years in the bigs, eight different teams, played here in St. Louis in 2015. Mark, all the best to you and the family, man. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks for so much for hopping on with us today. All right, guys. Have a good one. Absolutely. That is Mark Reynolds joining us here on 101 ESPN. Found it really interesting what he said about hitting in front of and behind Arenado and Goldschmidt, specifically talking about hitting behind those two guys and putting a little bit of pressure, let's be honest, on uh, Paul DeYoung. Mm -hmm. I looked up DeYoung's um, runners with scoring position, runners in scoring position numbers over the years. That is one place he's going to have to improve this year. In 2019, he hit 193 with runners in scoring position. That's not going to do it. In 2017, he was at 235. Now, that being said, he did have two good seasons. 2018, he was at 288. And in last year, he was fantastic with runners in scoring position. Of course, limited opportunities. He hit 343 in those situations. So they need him to be closer to what he was last year as opposed to what he was in 2019 and 2017. They they, they need that guy to show up because he's going to have a heck of a lot of opportunities. Yeah, I'm just going off of what Mark was talking about there, and I'm thinking that if you're a pitcher and you're working around Arenado and Goldschmidt, who are two of the more patient hitters in in the game today, you're going to be seeing a lot of pitches in the zone and probably less off-speed pitches if you're Paul DeYoung, which I don't know what his splits are in terms of off-speed and fastball pitches. But I'm imagining Paul DeYoung would be preparing for those type of games, which when it comes to runners with scoring position, if you're not seeing those fancy deep throws out of the zone, Paul DeYoung might have himself a big season this year. And Mark was talking about the guy hitting in the two hole. If that's Dylan Carlson, 
Might be in for a show there as well, because like you said, you're going to see a lot of pitches if you're in that number two spot because they're not going to want to pitch to the next two guys that are coming up. Yeah, very bad in his career against changeups. A 212 batting average against changeups in his career. Uh, does a little bit better against sliders, curves. That's where, uh, especially curveballs, that's where his power comes from. He has yeah. a 500 slugging percentage against fastball or against curveballs in his career. Uh, the four-seam has actually done a lot of damage against Paul DeYoung in his career. Hits just 225 against four-seamers. I would imagine that's the area you're going to be working on. But crushes sinkers, a 340 batting average against uh, sinkers in his career. Yeah. So be interesting to see how they pitch him going into the 2021 season. He's going to certainly see a lot of pitches with the guys that are hitting in front of him. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going to ju- dive into the junk drawer coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESP. And let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, so, my man? I don't know if you guys remember the name Jose Canseco. I'm just assuming everyone seems to. But, uh, well, things have been great for Jose. And it got even worse on Friday. So I, I was together with my family. We get together once a month and we do a poker night. And this month, it fell on Barstool Sports' Rough and Rowdy match, which is basically kind of like UFC boxing. It's a pay-per-view event. It was 20 bucks. My cousin bought it, and he was watching it. Knew nothing about it until the main event happened, and it was Jose Canseco against a 21-year-old that, that works for Barstool Sports. Mm-hmm. So apparently this was a boxing match because this kid at Barstool was standing up for A-Rod because Jose Canseco was throwing accusations out there, out there about he and Jennifer Lopez's relationship. And Jose gets into the boxing ring. Well, now he's getting some pushback because in 10 seconds in, he got hit once. He dropped and then complained to the officials that his shoulder was thrown out. And basically, they called the match. So now everybody is saying Jose Canseco dove in the boxing ring because he was paid and he didn't want to fight. He just wanted his money. Things not looking great right now for Jose Canseco. So I saw this. I saw the video of it. He got his ass kicked, Dude, man. That kid came throwing arms at Jose Canseco. I don't know how this all came about. Like, whatever. It is. Backstory, I'm not all that interested in, frankly. It was like 15 seconds <laughs> and the match was over. Yeah. I don't think this was about him not wanting to be in the ring. I think he got beat up. I think he he didn't expect it to go the way that it did. He didn't think that his opponent was actually going to be prepared to kick his ass. That's exactly the way things went down. Well, and Jose Canseco, of course, then he's been milking it saying, oh, yeah, because when he got knocked down, he pointed to his shoulder at the official saying, oh, hey, my shoulder it blew out. I can't perform. They asked him afterwards, you know, when did you know your shoulder was messed up? Three months ago. So this guy <laughs> basically wanted to get paid. And that's all the best part about no issue. Do, do people are people mad about this? No, it's just like I said, things have gotten worse for Jose Canseco yeah. through all of this. And, and the, the part of that I loved about all of this and the way ends the night before, apparently they asked him, Jose, uh, how long ago was it that you were taking steroids? And he said, I've been taking steroids pretty much the entire time. So if anybody was concerned, now, you know, about Jose Canseco, well, I mean, it, 
I've been concerned about Jose Canseco for a long time, I think including a lot of people have. last year at the start of the pandemic when he tweeted, can Bigfoot or aliens get COVID? I need to know because I have had contact with them. So I've had some serious questions about Jose Canseco for a while now that I think were pretty legitimate. It just got worse when he knocked out by a 21-year-old. You remember that uh, that Bigfoot camp that we talked so much about? Oh, yeah. I think Canseco is one of the founding fathers, I would guess. I'd go just to see him there. He might be Bigfoot for all we know. So the game last night was uh, less than ideal. Truth. There was one moment that was worth revisiting, though. Kevin Harlan remains one of the greatest to ever do it. If ever there is an opportunity for him to call a man streaking or if there's two games that he's watching at once, we remember the Dolphins beating the Patriots at the same time that the Chiefs were winning in week 17 of last season. He was calling both games at the same time. Last night, he once again rose to the occasion. Let's take a listen. 5.03 to go. Someone has run on the field. Some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle of the 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Pull up those pants. He's being chased to the 30. He breaks a tackle from a security guard. The 20, down the middle, the 10, the 5. He slides at the 1, and they converge on him at the goal line. Pull up your pants. Take off the bra and be a man. And the players with hands on hips at the other end of the field are looking at him and shaking their head and saying, why, oh, why? Is this taking place in a Super Bowl? An objectively great call. Not even close to Kevin Harlan's best. We've got to go back to the previous one that we heard from Kevin Harlan. This was not a human, but rather a cat. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way, and so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, to the 24-yard line of the Dallas Cowboys. It's a catch run of 15. Now the cat is stopped at the 50. He's walking to the 3. He's at the 2. And the cat is in the CDW red zone. CDW, <laughs> people who get it now, a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. Is Kevin Harlan is the greatest to ever do it. God. But here's the question for you. Let's rate three calls. Those are the first two nominees. The third, Danny Mack, the one and only. Oh, that's, that's a cat. Squirrel. That's a cat. Remember, here got a member of the grounds crew coming out there to hopefully pick up the cat. There it is. Yeah. Ow! <laughs> Ow! Stop it! To Yadier Molina. Molina! The rally cat. The only thing that Danny Mac was missing was a little meow at the end of that call. <laughs> Just a little meow at the end of it. The part that it, the part that gets me with Kevin Harlan's is that he ties a sponsor into it. It's amazing. Like, the it's, red zone. It is incredible that he not only calls Mark Ingram going one way, but the cat going the other, then ties in the red zone sponsor, <laughs> then calls the touchdown. Like Kevin Harlan is incredible when it comes to that and he was wearing a onesie that streaker yeah. last night not a bra which was incredible i think he was wearing a bra as well wasn't oh, he i thought it was just a onesie he had a bra, he he really? a bra on as well yeah maybe he took that off by the time that i saw the picture here's my part with this bk and i understand why we don't follow along with the with the streakers on the field because you're glamorizing it more people do it but to me that's like a car chase that's must watch television 
Like, I want to see, I want to see him from the moment he jumps onto that field to the moment that he gets stopped by those security guards. I'm with you. Like I, like you said, I, I get why we don't do it. I know, but we we all understand that this is going to be posted on Twitter within the next like thirty yeah, seconds. Someone's right? going we to see so- that video. I'm I'm assuming you have both seen it by now. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. posted on Twitter. If you want to find it, it's there for you to see. No, but like, come on, Jim Nance, give us give us the Kevin Harlan call. Nance is never going to do that. I know. Nance maybe is Tony. Not, maybe I, Tony Romo. I was surprised Romo didn't have a little something. Yeah, Romo's Romo always was got- bad last night. Oh, you didn't like the Romo reports? I thought Romo was terrible. Last Did you night. like his commercial? Uh, his commercial was, was decent. His, his commercial was decent. His commercial was solid. The best commercial, though, was not even a Super Bowl commercial. It was the one with Gronk and Tom Brady for T-Mobile. That was probably oh, the best commercial that I, I saw yesterday. disagree on that. Um, can we all agree, though, that Romo had a rough night? I thought Romo I thought was CB- fine. I thought CBS broadcast as a whole was not good last night. They didn't ever have a single replay of McCole Hardman being offsides on that field goal, which is one of the biggest plays of the game. We know he was offsides because of the dots. I don't know if you guys have seen the dots. I saw the dots. Um, we didn't get many re- So the uh, the touchdown that was reviewed, they went to commercial before showing a replay that would indicate whether or not yeah, he was did, into the end zone. Didn't they do the overhead first and then they went to commercial and then and, they came back? And then they came back yeah. as they announced that the play had been reviewed. We didn't even know officially that it had been challenged I thought CBS had a really rough night when it came to the broadcast. And I'm normally a fan of that broadcast yeah. team, but I thought they were pretty rough last it night. It was fine for me. I, I'm I'm more of a fan of Al Michaels. Like I am I love Al Michaels on the calls. So yeah. so that's kind of my go-to when it comes to those games, but it was fine. It's not like I sat there and just bashed it the entire time, but Tony Romo is my least favorite analyst when it comes really? to Really? Yeah. I I'm not a fan, man. I don't know why. There, there's something I, about him. I can kind of see that. There's something I mean, about him that I just don't I can't buy into. Great. Now we'll never have Romo on the show. I love Romo. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, hey, I typically the man. <laughs> really enjoy watching his broadcast, and I think he brings a lot of insight to the games. Yeah. I mean, the last Bucks versus Chiefs game, he basically spelled out what the Chiefs were going to be doing with Tyreek Hill going from the slot on an arrow route, and it happened like six times in the first quarter. Last night, I... I didn't think that he gave you any insight. He, he in that nailed game. the Romo report, especially for Tampa Bay. I mean, he was right on play action. We run nailed the, ball, the Romo it. report before the game even started on Friday. Yeah, sweet. They run the ball. Yeah. They run a. We got to run play action, oh, and they hey. run screens. Defense pressure, pressure, pressure. Be- I could give you the be- Romo hey, report. Better than being wrong. Uh, sure, it, it yeah, is okay. indeed better than being wrong, uh, which I am a lot. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie, who was wrong a lot. Coming up next. Last night reminded all of us, including myself, the limits of relying so much on your quarterback to go be great. Sometimes when that doesn't happen, you're going to have a game like that. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So last night was a, a pretty good reminder for a lot of us. It takes more than a quarterback. Now, we know that inherently, right? It it takes a team to be able to win the Super Bowl, and the Bucs are a great example of just how much of a team it can take. But much of the analysis surrounding that game was, can Mahomes elevate those around him to the point of, it doesn't matter that his offensive line is banged up. It doesn't matter that Sammy Watkins was clearly playing in that game at like, 50% of capacity. It doesn't matter that Mahomes has a banged up toe. It doesn't matter that the Chiefs have clearly the far inferior defense on the field. Mahomes is the best player in the sport, 
And so the Chiefs will win. That was a lot of the analysis that I heard last week. There comes a tipping point, and the Chiefs found that tipping point. Their offensive line has not been good all season long. It's been a problem for them. It's been the weakness of the offense, and really there's no close second. But last night we saw what it looks like whenever you have, it's kind of the Peter principle for the Cardinals, right? They were missing that big bat in the middle of the order, and so it makes everybody else look worse. The Chiefs lost that last piece in the Jenga, and everything came crumbling down. And that's that's where they were last night without having Eric Fisher on the field. Mahomes just couldn't do it all. He had, all things considered, a really good game. He was scrambling for his life. He made two of the best throws under pressure that I've ever seen. Both of them hit his receivers right in the face mask <laughs> in the end zone, and they weren't able to come down with it. I mean, he played, all things considered, really, really well. But at a certain point, the game plan of Patrick Mahomes, go be great, it isn't good enough. Yeah. And the Chiefs found that out in the worst possible way last night. See, for me, for me, it felt like it was more than one Jenga piece because the offensive line was that big one, but the defense too, BK. And I mean, to the point that you're making, you cannot rely on a quarterback to win you games because they've done it all season, but look what's happened. They've fallen short when it mattered most. But I felt like that bigger Jenga piece was the defense. I mean, Mahomes could have been incredible last night. He could have thrown. Those receivers could have caught those two touchdowns. The problem was the defense couldn't get a stop. I mean, they could not stop them once. And every time it felt like they had the opportunity, here's a flag or an offsides. They only gave up 10 points in the second half. Um, I think a lot of our our memory of this game is going to, I think the game changed at the end of the first half when the Chiefs called those two timeouts on the Bucks' final possession. You know what I'm talking about? So they call the timeout after first down when the Bucks gained two yards. And I, I totally agreed with that one. And frankly, I agreed with the second one. It just didn't work out. Then they called the timeout after Chris Godwin picked up about six yards. It's third and two. Godwin is sprinting back to the line of scrimmage to be able to hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And the Chiefs called timeout. And with about 40 seconds left in the first half, that was enough. The Bucks drive the rest of the field, score a touchdown right before the half. Instead of being up 14 to six at the half, the Bucks go into the half up 21 to six. Yeah. Totally changed the complexion of the game moving forward. They're up two scores now, and the Chiefs were never able to recover from that. I don't think the defense was terrible last night. I think that's pretty much what I expected from the defense. Yeah. The difference last night was the offense scored nine points. They failed to score a touchdown in the game. It's the first time either of those things have happened with Patrick Mahomes as the starting quarterback for the Chiefs. He's never scored fewer than 10 points. He has never been held without a touchdown in any individual game of his NFL career. And so when you've got a team that is constructed the way that the Chiefs are, it's similar to the Peyton Manning Colts, right? You're constructed to play from ahead, gain that lead. Your pass rushers are able to get up on the opponent and you bleed the clock out to end the game. Chiefs never got in that game script last night. And the end of the first half to me was the reason why. I don't know if that was so much on the defense. I think it's just your team is constructed in a specific way. And last night, that didn't come through for you because you just had too many guys that weren't able to yeah, step up. I, I'm just, I'm all about momentum. You know, our guy, Jamie Rivers, he's all about body language. I'm all about momentum. And it just felt like that defense never gave their offense the opportunity to put the game back in the, in, in, in the, in, to put it back in their grasp, right? Like it just felt like every time the offense would fall apart, the defense would allow a touchdown. And it just felt like every quarter heads dipped even more. And by that second half, BK, you're right, because that game was lost on those two timeouts, in my opinion. 
But that second half, it just felt like everyone came out thinking we, how we all did at home. This game's over. There's no opportunity of comeback. I I kind of agree with that, with the momentum, with the defense. But I would say that even carried over to the Chiefs' offensive line because, yep. like, I think it was in the third quarter. There was they show a replay where they run the play to the right, and the right tackle whiffed on a block on a run play. Yeah. So I mean, it it just felt like the offensive line had the same thing happen to them, where they couldn't get that big block that they needed, which led to the big play. And then they just felt like they could never stop them. They could never stop the pass rush, and that's what basically yeah. happened all night. But so, again, to your point, BK, I mean, you got to have all of those Jenga pieces. One can be more important than the other, but if you don't have any of those, it's all going to tumble, regardless if your quarterback is the best quarterback in the game. Yeah, we've all played Jenga before, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know how you get towards the end of the game, and you're like, oh, if I pick the wrong piece, game. this is all going to crumble, and it's game over for me. The Chiefs had that last piece, the last piece of the offensive line before everything came unglued was Eric Fisher. Mm-hmm. And when it, we, we talked about this so much last week, we had no idea how they were going to be able to deal with it. And the answer was they couldn't. They didn't have an answer for it. And so Eric Fisher goes out. They pull out that last Jenga piece. The board falls on itself. And suddenly Patrick Mahomes isn't able to do Patrick Mahomes stuff. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line from the 636. I think this is an interesting point. Guys, you said last week that the Chiefs potentially had the five best players on the field. So it's not like Patrick Mahomes was trying to do it alone. In that same segment when we said that, we said, you know, the Chiefs might have, I think it was actually it was four, four of the top five yeah. players in this game. Because it was Kelsey Hill, Mahomes, and Chris Jones. And then when you looked at it beyond that, we're like, man, the Bucks might have like 15 of the next 20 mm-hmm. best guys. And it's a matter of which one wins out there. And the answer was the latter. The Bucks side of things won out because they had so much depth, mm-hmm. specifically on that defensive line where you've got Vita Vea and Indomitian Sue and Shaq Barrett and JPP who have played a good game as well. The, the Chiefs didn't have anything to be able to match up with those guys. Because if you, if you ranked the starters last night, like the 44 starters, offense, defense of both teams, the Chiefs' five offensive line starters would have been ranked in the bottom 10 of yeah. all of the starters in that game. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Bucks' defensive line starters, those four, would have been ranked in the top 15 to 20 somewhere. And you saw that get exposed in the worst way possible for Kansas City. See, I put them in the top, like right below those top five with Kansas City because they were so impactful. I'm saying going into that game, if we were just grading the, right. the best players that play in the game. But they eliminated those top players that we talked about. They mm-hmm. eliminated Travis Kelsey and, and Tyree Kill. We joked around earlier about the Romo report, but he talked about it. They're double teaming Kansas City right now. Those those impactful middle of the packed players that we talked about depth, they eliminated those top four. And that's where the Jenga pieces come into play. Because if you have a quarterback that can win, you need everyone else to do their jobs. And Kansas City's guys just didn't get the job done. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, all the penalties hurt the Chiefs, but everybody also figured that Tampa was going to score around 30 points. The difference is nobody expected the Chiefs to score nine. Absolutely. That that was the difference in the game. The Chiefs defense basically did what I thought they were going to do. I, I think I predicted like a 34-27. That was my final score prediction for this one. 31 points from the Bucks was not out of the realm of the possibility. That was right in that expectation. The nine points for the Chiefs, yeah. that was the one that was out of character. My big question going into the game was how they were going to deal with the defensive line. Andy Reid, terrible game plan. Got outcoached. Didn't work. He Absolutely. He got flat out outcoached in that game. Mm-hmm. They The way they started the game was inexplicable. I don't understand it. I still don't get it. They had McCole Hardman and Byron Pringle as their featured guys on the outside. They didn't have a concerted effort to get the ball in the hands of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. 
they they didn't have time to run anything. Their screen game was abysmal going mm-hmm. into that one. There was just nothing that seemed to be working and full credit to the Bucks for that. And you've got to knock for the Chiefs what they did in that game. The game plan coming into it clearly didn't work, and they were never able to adjust. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, let's play a game of in or out. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. In or out, the Chicago Bears are about to make an even bigger mistake than taking Mitch Trubisky number two overall. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Let's start with this one. The big news not related to the Super Bowl over the weekend was that the Eagles are reportedly close to finalizing a deal to send Carson Wentz elsewhere. The finalists, based on some speculation and reporting, seem to be the Bears and the Colts. Those seem like the two most likely landing spots for Carson Wentz. So let's start here. In or out, guys. If the Bears trade a first-round pick for Carson Wentz, that would be an even bigger mistake than taking Mitchell Trubisky number two overall. In or out, Wentz trade, bigger mistake than taking Mitchell Trubisky number two overall. I don't know if you can ever do a bigger mistake than taking Mitch over Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson in that same NFL draft. Like, that is the franchise-changing mistake. So I'm going to say out on this, but it is a really close in because Carson Wentz is not the answer for Chicago. If I'm Chicago and I'm paying a first round draft pick, I'm going to throw a couple of extra ones in there for Deshaun Watson and make sure that I'm set up. Carson Wentz is not getting that done. Frankly, the Colts might be making that mistake too. I The Colts, when I'm a little, I would be in on the Colts just because of the success he had under Frank Wright as his uh, offensive coordinator. With the Bears, I mean... Come on, we saw one. Oh, yeah. Bear. Thank you. Yeah, I don't I don't see him going well with the Bears because Matt Nagy, even though he, he seemed to get Trubisky to be this great quarterback in that first year, he hasn't been able to maintain that success. And whether or not it's fair to put that on Nagy, I don't know. He gave up play calling. I see that as if he goes to the Bears, it's going to be a huge failure. So I'm out. I think this would be a bigger mistake than taking Trubisky number two. Really? That was defensible. Mitchell Trubisky was viewed as a legitimate top 10 prospect in that class. Now, taking him number two overall over Watson was a clear mistake. I I still, to this day, I get why they didn't take Mahomes. Mahomes was a project, and he was put into the perfect situation to be able to succeed. I don't know that he would be having that same success in Chicago. You know what Carson Wentz is. You know he struggles behind a bad offensive line. You know he struggles if he doesn't have good weapons around him. And now you're going to have that guy try to be your savior in Chicago when the GM and the head coach are both on the hot seat, both could be on the way out after this upcoming season. You're going to trade a first-round pick for that guy? That's a huge mistake. Trubisky was an unknown. There was upside potentially there. They thought maybe they were getting a guy, first of all, for cheap, that could help them. Wentz ain't cheap. We've seen him fail in a very similar type of a situation with, by the way, a guy who ran Andy Reid's old system. Doug Peterson, 
was an Andy Reid disciple. He was the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. Matt Nagy, where'd he come from? Kansas City? So you're going to a similar offense in a similar situation with another team that plays in the cold. Why am I supposed to expect that this is going to be any different than what he just left in Philadelphia? But he's going to have Allen Robinson. He's not. He's a free agent. <laughs> Although, did you see Robinson's tweet a little bit ago? No, what he said. The thinking emoji with the hand on the chin. Maybe he's thinking about staying in Chicago no. if they get Carson Wentz. Bear. No Bears. chance. No chance he's going to be back there. In or out on the weekend's halftime show, guys. I was out on it. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the weekend in general, but then on top of it, it felt like it was. It felt like it was a Michael Jackson halftime show, like trying to be Michael Jackson. I don't know. I was out on it. I, I had no interest really in sitting and watching any of it. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of a weekend fan, and I, you know, I was kind of out. It just wasn't. I don't know. It's hard to compare with what they went before the weekend. Like, right, like you went Bruno Mars, which in my opinion was one of the better ones in, in a long time. Then you went Justin Timberlake, which was incredible. You thought that was. Incre- oh, yeah. I and thought it was terrible. No, no. <laughs> I nothing, thought his most recent performance no, was awful. Nothing is terrible with Justin Timberlake. And then you went J-Lo with Shakira, which that we was all great. can agree that was awesome. That was great. And then you go The weekend. Like, I was I was waiting for that performance. I mean, to, The weekend has some huge hits. I get it, but I feel like it's I kept like waiting. Number one hits. I, I kept waiting for somebody to come out and, like, save him, and it didn't happen. I thought it was fine. I thought it was similar to the Justin Timberlake one. Um, I thought it was similar to some of the more mundane, like the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, didn't go particularly well. Don't you ever call Timberlake mundane? He was mundane at his performance. No. There was nothing special about what he did in that, the most recent one. Now, the one in, what was it, 05, 06, well, something like that? Janet was with him. That though. one was a little bit more special. The one more recently, though, it, it did nothing for me. Terrible Maroon 5, same way. It was yeah, fine. That was terrible. It was fine. I thought this one was okay. I didn't have an issue with it necessarily. It is not one that is going to be memorable. It is not like Lady Gaga when she came in from the ceiling. Um, It is not one like Beyonce when she had that massive dance number on the field. It's not going to be remembered that way at all. But that was perfectly fine. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll say I was in on it because I I had no issues with it. It had for the a most decent part. meme to come out of it. You know, the close up camera. Come yeah, on. what a meme. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out guys in or out Patrick Mahomes will finish his career with two or fewer Super Bowl titles Patrick Mahomes two or fewer Super Bowl titles so including the one he's going to get one more or less yeah oh I'm I'm out on that two or fewer he's going to get more than that I mean look I know everyone's a glaring weakness right now on Kansas City. Oh, man, they can't do this, and who knows if they'll get back here. Let's be honest here, guys. They got the window still wide open with the talent that they have around him. You fix in a little offensive line issues, which I know they're dealing with cap problems. You fix a little defensive issues. We're talking about a whole different ballgame, so I'm, I'm out on this. I don't I mean, uh, go in on that. Just because I understand. Look, I agree. He's probably the best quarterback in the league, and they've got the weapons around him. The window is still open. The cap probably, again, the offensive line wasn't healthy. I don't know how much you can take away from that. The, to me, they don't have the cap to fix the defense. You mentioned the defense felt like it never had the momentum last last night. They can't fix the defense. I don't know because we've seen Rodgers. I would have thought Rodgers have three or four Super Bowls at this point. I would have thought Russell Wilson would have three or four Super Bowls Dan at Marino. this point. 
I wasn't around yet, but Dan Marino is another one of those. But yeah, I would. To me, maybe maybe it is the maybe this is the one. Maybe he's like Aaron Rodgers has one Super Bowl. I'll, I'll go in on this. You guys know I'm gonna be out on this. I think he's gonna get at least. I think he gets two more. I think he gets at least two more. I think he yeah. goes to four or five. I say I, he wraps up his career with three or four of them. I think that sounds about right to me. That being said, you're you're not wrong, Tanner. I mean, we thought the same thing was going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. We thought Brett Favre was going to get to a bunch and win a bunch of them. Uh, ben Roethlisberger at one point felt like he was it was a god like he was just going to continue going. And he to had them. the weapons too. Le'Veon Bell, best running back of the game at the time. Peyton Manning Brown. finished with two, right? I think the biggest difference between those guys and where Mahomes is now, Mahomes' talent. <laughs> I don't think his talent's all that different than Manning. Manning was one of the best I've ever seen. Um, Brady. Brady's not going to be there forever. You know, like Manning's entire career, he had to get through Tom Brady. He had to get through the best to ever do it to be, to be able to win, to even get to those Super Bowls. Mahomes isn't going to have that after I think next year. We'll see. I think next year is going to be the last year for Tom Brady. And once he retires, there's really no clear cut. This is the guy that's going to steal all of the Super Bowls from Mahomes in the future. So I, I think he's going to get to a few more. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say out. I don't think that he gets stuck on two. I think he finishes with more than that. What if Watson goes to the NFC, though? Could he be a guy that could steal away some of those Super Bowls? I think it'd be a bigger problem if Watson goes to a contender in the AFC because then you have to beat him to get to the Super Bowl and then beat whoever the elite quarterback is from the NFC to win the Super Bowl, you know? I think that's the problem that Manning had. Not only do you have to beat Brady to get there, but then whoever gets there, you got to beat that guy as well. And that's it's tough to do, as we just learned from Patrick Mahomes. It, it It's really hard to win these. We're going to, by the way, while we're on this topic, the Chiefs winning last year, it's not overstate how huge that was for Patrick Mahomes. Because imagine, imagine today, if instead of Tyreek Hill, remember that big play over the top, Mahomes went to the sideline and asked Andy Reid, do we have time to run Wasp? And they did, and they got the big play to Tyreek Hill. What if the Chiefs lost last year? How are we talking about Patrick Mahomes today? Like we talk about Lamar Jackson? Exactly like we talk about Lamar Jackson. I know people hate us on the text line because we bash on Lamar Jackson, but couldn't get the job done. We'd be saying the exact same thing about Patrick Mahomes, an MVP when he's a rookie, going to a Super Bowl. But if you don't win, you're talking about him much differently. I feel like that'd be hard, though, because unlike last year, maybe because he lost, he would have lost to Jimmy Garoppolo. and We see where he is now. But losing to the greatest of all time in Tom Brady, to me, that's hard to count against Mahomes. But you know we but do. I, I know that's you know what would happen. Do it. I know that's what would Top happen. Top football's but evaluated. I, to me, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it, he lost to the greatest of all time. Come on. That's like hurting NBA guys for losing to Michael in the finals. I'm with you. I totally agree. But this is how we do it. And if Mahomes and the Chiefs would have lost last year, I think this is already going to be a narrative next season if the Chiefs get back to the Super Bowl. I think we're going to be talking about how Mahomes, once they get to the Super Bowl, doesn't have great games. He wasn't great last year against the 49ers. Wasn't great this year against um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think that's going to be a It's ridiculous. It's not a fair narrative, but I think that's going to be a narrative that we're talking about if the Chiefs get there once again next year. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Can the Dodgers stop?
Can can they please just stop doing this? They signed another stud? We'll talk about it and what it means for the Cardinals coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Jack Flaherty is going to be a Cy Young candidate for the next several years. The starting pitching rotation is, is, is deep. The bullpen is strong. you got a great manager that knows how to, how to put the pieces in the right places. I mean, I think the Cardinals are set up. Uh, when you get to October, look, we've seen how many wildcard teams win World Series, right? I mean, you, you, you get to the show, you got a chance. But I do think Arenado changes the storyline because you've added another hitter that hits the best elite pitching. So, yeah, I think the Cardinals are in the conversation with the best, and um, I think they're in really the best position they've been in in a few years. That was former Major League Baseball general manager Jim Bowden on with us on Friday. I agree with him. I think the Cardinals are in a really good spot right now. But for some reason, other people don't. And I don't understand (laughs) it. Um, The one team that I think we can go ahead and throw out of this conversation, though, is the Dodgers. So they made another big signing. It was announced right at the end of our show on Friday. Trevor Bauer is going to be joining their rotation. They now have a two hundred and forty million dollar payroll going into this season. That's before they decide to do it. They signed Justin Turner. They're already $30 million over the luxury tax threshold. If they signed Justin Turner, they're going to be right near the all-time highest paid payroll, which is about $272 million, which was the Dodgers back in 2015. They're getting pretty close to that. I don't think that we can have a conversation of, are the Cardinals close to the Dodgers? The answer is no on paper, and they're not going to be able to close that gap a whole lot going into the season or even at the trade deadline. That's That team's on a different playing field right now. The question is, what about with the Mets, Braves, and Padres? And right now, I think the Cardinals are really close, if not ahead of those teams. I know that the projections totally disagree with me, and that's fine. But when I look at what this team has right now, especially if they go out and add one more piece, whether it be a pitcher or a left-handed bat, I think the Cardinals are right there with the Mets, Braves, and Padres. And really, for me, that's what I'm judging them off of going into this year. I'm with you because before the Bauer signing, I'm thinking, look, in a seven-game series, the Cardinals can at least compete with these guys. In the season, the Dodgers? Yeah. Oh. In a season, I don't know. In a seven-game series, I felt like it was possible. Um, Not anymore. The Padres, though, are kind of, it's Dodgers that are on that first tier. I kind of put the Padres on that second tier of teams that are a little bit ahead of the Cardinals just because of that rotation. I mean, that rotation setup is nasty with Snell now, you Darvish, Dillison Lamette. Like, they have a very solid core. But right under that, I would put the Cardinals, and i put them ahead of the Braves and the Mets. If the Mets would have gotten Trevor Bauer, I think the Mets would kind of be in that Padres territory for me. But because they didn't, I mean, that's a bullpen that has been unsatisfying for the New York Mets for a really long time. Yes, you got Francisco Lindor, but I think I could put that offense with the New York Mets offense. So I'm with you. I would have the Padres still a little bit ahead of those other teams, Cardinals, Braves, and the Mets. But I would put the Cardinals ahead of the Mets and the Braves right now, even after that Marcelo Zuna signing. I would put the Cardinals ahead of the Mets. I don't know. I think the Braves are ahead of them just because I think they have a better lineup. And I say that, and that's because I don't know exactly what we're going to get from DeYoung, and I don't know exactly what we're going to get from Carlson. The Braves, I look at that lineup, and I can say, I know what I'm going to get from Freeman. I know what I'm going to get from Ozuna. I know what I'm going to get from Acuna and Albies. 
And with the Padres, I think their rotation and their lineup, to me, they can still compete with the Dodgers. The Padres can. That's why I think the Cardinals are the fourth best team. I think they're ahead of the Mets. I still have concerns about the Cardinals and their starting pitching. That's my biggest concern right now heading into the season. And I'd even put it ahead of what we're going to get from the young outfield. I'm okay with them letting the young outfield taking off the uh, floaties and letting them see how they swim. I, I have concerns about the starting pitching, but granted, I see this also as one of those with the outfield too. Let's see what these guys got, and then we can address it next offseason. I also have some concerns about the starting pitching for the Braves. Yeah, I do too. And, so and that, their bullpen. That that comes into the question here. The Mets, I have some questions about their bullpen as well, and we know how the uh, the Mets starting pitching typically lasts over the course of an entire season. Hell, I think it's fair to have some questions about the Mets starting staff going into the year, especially mm-hmm. if they don't have a healthy Noah Syndergaard. And we don't know. We don't know, right? And the same thing is true, could be said about Miles Michaelis for the Cardinals. We just don't know with him. Is he going to be healthy or not? Unsure as of today. The Padres are the one team. You're right on this, Tanner, for sure. The Padres are the one that I think they have the most certainty in their rotation. I got some questions about their bullpen. I got questions about the Braves bullpen. I got questions about the uh, Mets bullpen. That's where the Cardinals do have a little bit on these teams, in my opinion. They have more depth pitching-wise than anybody else not named the Dodgers in the National League. Now, is the quality at that top-end talent, do they have a DeGrom? No, they definitely do not. Do the Cardinals have a guy that is a surefire number two starter the way the Padres do now with either Darvish or Snell, whoever you think that guy is going to be? Uh, no, they don't right now. It it could be Michaelis, it could be KK, but that's could, would, should. It's not a for sure. So I understand where you're coming from there. I just feel like the Cardinals, to me, are the most well-balanced of all, all of the teams that we're talking about. They're very good defensively. They have a really, really deep pitching staff. They have a lineup that, while it still has some question marks, has some real certainty in the middle of the order as well. Which Marcelo Zuna are we getting this year? Are we getting the one that's on the last year of a one-year contract? Is he, is he going into his walk here? Mm-mm. Now he's got a four-year guaranteed deal. Is he going to show up ready to go? Is he going to be able to play in the outfield for the Braves this year if they don't have the designated hitter? I do think there's some fair questions to ask about them. So I think the Cardinals are in the conversation with all three of these teams. I think they're all in the same tier for me. And then the Dodgers are one tier ahead of everybody because, like I said, they're playing a different game seemingly let than me, everybody else. Let me ask you guys this then because we're all pretty confident in the Cardinals pitching. I know you got some questions, T-Bone. This is all under the assumption that Yachty's back. Yeah, of course. If Yachty's not back, are you this confident still on the pitching staff? No. I, see, I, I'm with T-Bone there, BK. It changes my mind about this pitching staff and its depth because I don't ha- now I don't have a pitcher that knows these guys better than they know themselves. That's the only caveat in this that I'm a little hesitant about saying that they're up there. They, they are. But without Yachty, that we takes a little bit of a happen, though, right? Like I, Mo was on another radio station over the weekend saying he expects an update on that this week. I'm going to be I'm at like 99 percent right now. I'll be stunned if Yadier Molina doesn't sign with the Cardinals this week. Absolutely stunned. I, I think I would be stunned, too. But the two reasons I say that one, I don't know if Kisner a is ready for the full time duty and B, I don't know if he can uh, not. know. I know he can't call as good a game as Yadi can. And the pitching's young. I 50, almost 50% of their innings last year came from guys 25 and younger. So I want a veteran presence, a guy that knows the pitching staff as well as Yachty does, to be their catcher, to guide them through it. Their ERA was high, those guys that were 25 and younger last season. 
So in theory, they're only going to get better. And having a catcher like Yachty with them again, to me, would help that out a ton. Especially oh, yeah. in that fifth rotation spot that's that's an open invitation. I think I, it's going to be Carlos. I, I, but I need my catcher for Carlos, Alex Reyes, and Ponce de Leon because I need my catcher that's Yachty to control that. So Yeah, I'm just I, I'm surprised you guys are, are caught up on that. I, I don't think he's going anywhere else. If he does, I'm, I'm more than happy to have this conversation, and it's a worthwhile conversation for sure. It changes my outlook for the pitching staff. I'm I'm totally with you guys on that. I'm just really going to be stunned if he's not back next year. I, just, I don't see any way that he leaves. I'm hesitant to put myself into a situation that sits here and say, he's back, he's back, he's back, and then something does happen. I'm with you. It seems like an all-but conclusion that Yachty is a Cardinal, but... There's still that hesitation because it hasn't been done yet. So, but again, that is a conversation. Sure. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. This Friday morning, participate in the 21st annual Hardy's Rise and Shine for Heat fundraiser. Stop by any participating Hardy's in the bi-state area this Friday morning between 6 and 1030. And you can grab a sausage biscuit or egg biscuit for the special price of just $1. 100% of the proceeds of all funds collected will help heat up St. Louis, supporting people in need in both Missouri and Illinois. Help heat up the St. Louis region this Friday morning at any participating Hardee's. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. from the show today check it out on the podcast page it is brought to you by i promise we had mark reynolds earlier talking about nolan aronado and the cardinals infield going into this season the former cardinals first baseman and rockies first baseman was very good check that out on the podcast page 101 espn.com anthony stalter in studio crossing things over with the fast lane now stalts what's up man you all right bud i'm all right i'm all right i'm, I'm gonna make it you seem fine i i really am um I think part of it is because there's no there's no real finality to it. Like I I still firmly believe the Chiefs are in a good spot moving forward. They've got Patrick Mahomes. There's nobody else in the AFC that really, at least as of today, seems to pose a huge threat to him getting back even as soon as next year. So that's probably one of the main reasons why I'm not worried about it, um, or I'm not as, as hurt as I would otherwise be. And the Bucks just played their ass off, man. They played an awesome game, and they deserve all the credit in the world for the way that they performed last night. So, and I, I found myself really liking and rooting for that team, which was a weird phenomenon that took place in the middle of that game. So I, I'm good, all, all things considered. At halftime, would have been different. Halftime, I was pissed because of the refs. Yeah, but I, you can't blame the refs when you don't show up in the second half. Right. If the same thing happened in the second half, and it ended up being a really close game. I could totally see if you're a Chiefs fan and you come in today to work and you're sitting around the cooler and your buddy's giving you a hard time. And you're like, dude, the refs lost that for us. Right. You can't make that excuse with the way that they performed in the second half. It, the same thing happened again without the calls going against them. That's that's exactly how, how I felt watching that game last night. I was growing frustrated as a football fan. Now, I was I was rooting for the Chiefs, too. I predicted them. I was rooting for you guys. I was rooting for you. I was rooting for me. I wanted to see the Chiefs win that game last night. And I was growing frustrated 
throughout the end of that second quarter, especially the one right, but the, the Mike Evans one right before the half set the ball right there. You go up 21 to six, both as somebody who's rooting for the chiefs and somebody that wants to watch a good game. I was furious, but exactly what you just said as the third quarter wore on, I'm like, Oh, the chiefs have no counter punch. Yeah. You, you've got nothing. You're just going to get steamrolled now. And, and the, the, the frustration kind of dissipated from there. So I I, under, I get that. I understand how you feel. I, th- I also think we learned a lot about certain guys on the Chiefs just not being big game performers. Like McCole Hardman, that dude just can't rise up to the big stage. And I'm sorry to say it, but we saw it in the AFC Championship game. He moped and pouted on the sidelines and went underneath the jacket and Mahomes and Kelsey had to go over to him and be like, hey, you're fine. Yeah. And that was right after he had muffed a punt early in that one. The same thing was true last night. He was terrible. An all-time bad game by a player in a big, big moment. Lined up offsides on the field goal attempt that ultimately led to the Bucks scoring that touchdown right, right. before the half. Um, you had him with a couple of drops, one that he lost in the air somehow on the first drive for the Chiefs. Just a horrible, all, like, no good, very bad game for McCall Hardman. I think Chris Jones, there's some questions with him, too. That dude after the game, did you see his comments? No. He was talking uh, basically like we just were about, ah, well, game, uh, the calls, they went against us. Sometimes that changes. the. No, man, you didn't step up in the second half. He made a ton of really good plays early in that game. Looked awesome, was disruptive for the Chiefs in the interior defensive line. Did nothing in the second half. Right. I'm really interested to see what the Chiefs do with him. I, I'll go ahead and say it here. I would not be surprised if he's traded this offseason. Chris Jones, I would not be surprised to see him dealt. Because they, they signed him before this year, correct? Uh-huh, and there was basically zero signing bonus, which means they can clear $20 million off of the cap if they if they were to trade him this offseason. And they're about $12 million over right now mm-hmm. without any ways to maneuver and they'll 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 be fine they're not in like a cap hell situation or anything like that yeah but it'd be an easy way to clear 20 million dollars from your cap and they've got a lot of money tied up in other guys on that side of the ball i i wouldn't be stunned if he ends up going elsewhere this offseason yeah i, I wouldn't be either i guess i mean he's we'll a good see. player an objectively really good player and you don't want to lose him especially you know this as a Falcons fan who's watched Grady Jarrett. Yeah. Those dudes are super valuable. You know this, Tanner, as a Rams fan. Aaron Donald, finding, like, finding that guy is damn near impossible. But when you don't show up in a big-time game right. and you're costing $20 million, you're going to have to find a way to uh, spend that money elsewhere. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane? Well, we'll, we'll dive into this one. I'm interested to hear not only from Meat's perspective as a Chiefs fan, but <sighs> Jamie Rivers has been touting oh, Tom Brady all year. He's been pumping them, pumping them up real big since about middle of December, and he's got his Tampa Bay Buccaneers gear on right now. And he was insufferable last night oh, yeah. on our little text chain. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he, in your text chain he was doing the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah, I was getting all kinds of Gronk. Uh, Gronk's the GOAT. Look at Gronk. Best tight end in the game. Best tight end to ever do it. It wasn't even about Brady because that was just an acknowledgement, right? We all knew Brady was going to do that. Right. It was about Gronk. Okay. Sweet, Jamie. Looking forward to hearing that. So I'll be tuning in coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise.